kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Antinanny. First, as usual, we're going to start off with the CASA update portion of the podcast. Um, good evening, Alex. Good evening. Welcome to the CASA update for the week of 2-3-2017. What is new and exciting this week, Alex? <clears throat> it's been a busy week. Um yeah. Yeah, I'm up to my eyeballs in Tobacco 21 this weekend. Oh, um, it's it's been hitting everywhere. It looks like just from the news. Yeah. Um, well, it, it's uh, I, I have to update my my map. Actually, um, I have to add Massachusetts to this. Um, but uh, yeah, I believe we have <clears throat> 1920 bills in 13 states now. Um, there was a bill in Mississippi that failed, but I found another one today um, that has not failed. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's uh, wow. this is this is the year for Tobacco Twenty One to go crazy. Yeah! Wow! Wow! Uh, yeah, now I have twenty two bills in here. Um, So um, yeah, that's that's kind of my thing, and, and and you know, funny funny story. Um, so we put out a uh, an alert, a, a, an engagement for uh, a tax bill in Arizona, which is like mm -hmm. a ninety. It's a ninety five percent wholesale tax, and um, quickly got feedback from people in Arizona um, and other places saying that uh, you know this bill isn't going to go anywhere. It's you know. We should right. really be doing doing this tobacco twenty one bill, um, and uh, which is kind of interesting to me because it, that it it actually uh, elicited a, a stronger response from people uh, regarding a tobacco twenty one bill than I think we've gotten really ever. Um, wow. We've we've been issuing engagements for tobacco twenty one ordinances uh, for the past year or two. Oh, yeah. And um, it, it, it generates sort of a lukewarm response from people. Um, and these are things at the local level. New York has had a lot. Massachusetts especially has had a lot. Um, yeah. A good deal of the state is already 
um, has already adopted 20, tobacco 21 laws. And of course, California, um, there's over 230 municipalities, including counties um, throughout the country that have adopted tobacco 21 uh, laws. Um, I think there's nine or 11 in New Jersey. So <clears throat> this has been creeping along. And um, and so now it's, it's coming out at the state. I think this is the most at the state level that we've seen. Um, yeah. I think states are, are sort of seeing that Hawaii and California passed uh, these laws last session uh, and, right. and are um, doing their own. Um, and, you know, neighboring states that neighbor California, uh, Arizona, Oregon, uh, Nevada doesn't have one. I, I wouldn't expect Nevada to, to do this, but uh, I'm not going to say that with any kind of certainty. Um, but obviously the entire left coast um, is looking at adopting tobacco 21 laws. Wow. And even Texas, I've got Texas, Oklahoma on here. Um, you know, states I, I wouldn't think of to do stuff like this. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's the new dance craze. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it is a craze. Um, I'll admit that for sure. And I, I like when you read the news articles and you can see this is boilerplate legislation. And the spokesperson always says that, well, we hope to keep tobacco out of the hands of teenagers. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it's kind of, I was, I've been, I've been reading all of this stuff because I, I really kind of want to beef up. I want to make sure that our arguments are, are robust. Uh -huh. um, there are two bits of evidence that proponents of tobacco 21.2, and that's it, by the way, if, yeah. is, you know, the vaping industry, vaping advocates have, have, have reams of evidence at this point that these products are, are less hazardous than smoking and should be promoted to smokers and no one seems to care. But the Tobacco 21 proponents come out with a study on Needham, Massachusetts, which was the first um, city to pass Tobacco 21 laws, uh, I believe in 2005, they okay. raised the smoking age to 21. And of course, this was before e-cigarettes, so it was just on smoking. Um, right. It may have actually included uh, smokeless tobacco. I haven't researched enough of that, but you know, the target of this is is ostensibly smoking. Um, okay. And uh, and then there's the study from the Institutes of Medicine. Um, now, in Needham, Massachusetts, uh, they raised the age to purchase uh, cigarettes, tobacco, to uh, 21 and the, uh, smoking rate, I believe the adult smoking rate dropped to, um, no, I'm sorry. The, 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 the teenager smoking rate dropped to 7% down from like 12%. Mm -hmm. Um, at that, during that same time period, uh, surrounding, uh, cities, right. I, I guess they average. 15% down to 13% or 12%, something like that. Okay. Um, so the Massachusetts raised their uh, purchase age and they already apparently had uh, smoking rates that were lower than the rest of the state. Um, right. And they experienced a, a significant decline. Okay. Um, several years later, that smoking rate has gone down to five and a half percent. So the most dramatic decline, of course, is when the law is first enacted. Mm -hmm. And um, 
you can expect that to level off somewhere. I, I, I'm just doing some non-science here, but based on the evidence that they're using, it seems reasonable to expect that the smoking rate among young people will level off somewhere between 6 and 5%. Okay. Um, just doing the kind of the same caliber of, of science that they're doing. <laughs> so, uh -huh. you know, the question being, what about that six, that five to 6% of young people that, that still smoke and, and why is it that they're smoking? Uh, and, and what happens when those people turn 21? Um, the, the argument that, that is somewhat substantiated with some evidence is that the longer someone waits to pick up cigarettes, the less likely they are to continue smoking for the rest of their life. Um, uh, so, you know, potentially some benefit there, but some people still do go on and pick up cigarettes and when they turn 21, mm -hmm. um, just like how some people, you know, become alcoholics once they're legal drinking age. Mm -hmm. Um, or arguably developed a, a bit of a bad habit prior to turning to 21, yeah. um, which is an art, another argument against the drinking age being 21, but we're okay. not that type of organization. So we won't get into drugs and alcohol. Um, okay. <laughs> Sounds fair to me. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you know, it's, 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 so the Needham Massachusetts study is one thing that these people are presenting as, as, um, I, I guess that that's all the support that they need. And there hasn't really been a, a lot of, from, from what I've been reading, there, there isn't a lot of uh, follow-up studies that have been done in these, you know, 230 other municipalities that have mm -hmm. uh, adopted uh, the, the higher smoking age. Um, and it will be interesting to see uh, what happens in California. I think Hawaii would be an excellent place to see what actually happens. Um, you know, and of course, the argument is that if you you know raise the smoking age to 21, you're taking, you're putting that distance between you know these young the the adults and 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 young people, uh, and so that they're less likely to purchase cigarettes from their 18 year old friends who are finishing up their senior year of, of high school. Um, okay. But of course, nobody nobody seems to care about the 18 to 20 year olds who have all the access in the world to all of the convenience stores and gas stations that are out there. Um, and of course their friends who are 21. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and, and the fact that, that they are still, um, highly likely to pick up a pack of cigarettes. Oh, yeah. Uh, this, this law is mainly to quote unquote protect, um, teenagers, I guess, between the ages of 14 and 17, um, who are just clearly not capable of making rational decisions. Um, <laughs> so that's the need of Massachusetts um, support for this. And then uh, of course you have the institutes of medicine, which I, I feel like I'm sort of flonking a dead horse here, but um, uh, you know, that, that study was done without considering um, the impact that the availability of electronic cigarettes would have on smoking rates. Um, and nor do they consider um, what the implications would be, uh, or what the consequences would be of um, treating electronic cigarettes just like traditional cigarettes um, in terms of communicating risk to, um, to anyone, really. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it's, I, you know, based on that alone, I, I, you know, I think we agree that uh, it's sort of irresponsible at this point to, to be promoting tobacco 21 policies um, <laughs> there there really just is not enough evidence to support this policy and in fact 
um, consistent with with our beliefs on um, you know structural communication to consumers um, by way of of laws and and, and ordinances and so on. Um, they may actually be doing more harm. Um, so, yeah. That oh. <laughs> <laughs> did you get all that? <laughs> I, I did. You did hear me typing, right? Yeah, I did. Good <laughs> yeah. job. Thanks. You know, I'm not. I'm not the best transcriptionist, but I think I got the heart of it. Fantastic. <laughs> Good. Okay. So, so obviously, I've I've been dealing with Tobacco Twenty One for the past couple of days, and okay. um, something to look forward to. Um, I'm probably going to be spending time tomorrow i'm flying to oregon on sunday um to be there in time for for a thing on tuesday um okay. and uh we'll probably be doing some work on super bowl sunday in my hotel room um oh, trying to get stuff out in time for monday um but uh we, we should have a, a hopefully soon a a kind of a, a, a an expanded um post on tobacco 21 with um, all kinds of resources. So, you know, we've got this pretty map that's purple and um, we'll have some updated information on and some perspective on, um, you know, I, I, I can't say this with, with uh, a whole lot of certainty. It's mainly based on a few comments that I've seen on the tobacco 21 issue and, and some conversations that I've had with people. Um, so I, I can't say with certainty that this is how a large percentage of people feel about this, but there are, I think, a lot of people who think that, um, you know, raising the age to smoke, to purchase all tobacco products, including vapor products, is a reasonable, logical step um, because, oh, look what it did for uh, drinking and also, you know, marijuana it, when it as it's becoming daylighted, the, the the minimum legal purchase age is 21, um, and so you know people seem to think that that all makes sense. Um, not really considering that the um, you know raising the drinking age is somewhat arbitrary. Not a lot of states were really into it. They only did it because federal high, federal highway money was threatened to be withhold, withheld if they didn't. Um, and um, and and uh, it is it is arguable that uh, that the uh, minimum drinking age of 21 has created a binge drinking culture. Um, so uh, it, it's uh, I was also looking into that as well. Um, but you know the thing is that it, it seems to be that there are a, a noticeable uh, amount of there is a noticeable amount of people who are uh, generally supportive of. Of tobacco 21 much like you have a lot of uh people in the vaping community who uh who don't really care about the indoor indoor vaping bans right. um and uh so i i, I kind of wanted to take the opportunity to maybe address some of those um areas of i guess either uh express or implicit support uh for tobacco 21 right. um and uh, and yeah, we're 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 trying to approach this. We we don't really have a whole lot of evidence on our, our side either. Um, right. But uh, you know, we're not the ones arguing 
to make a new law. So, um, (laughs) it, it's, uh, you know, there's, there's certainly room for debate here. And, and I think that, you know, again, you know, the, the mistake that the proponents are making here is that they're just not considering the impact that, that harm reduction can have on sure. reducing youth and adult u- use of, of cigarettes. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so, well, it's not like that's something that uh, they seem to be horribly concerned about. Um, facts. You know, yeah. Facts <laughs> and truth. Yeah. We're, we're a post-truth society. Yeah, apparently. You know that. <laughs> you know, I don't have to tell you that. Yeah, I watch the TV. Yeah, I don't. And I still know we're a post-truth society. So it's it's interesting. So <laughs> that, doesn't, that does not sound like a lot of fun. So, yeah. but, but there's going to be more resources for people. There's going to be more education for people and... You know that can only be good. Yeah. So um, we can get back to the world of facts. Um, <laughs> okay. Are you uh, sure? <laughs> so, so, well, some some things that I know are a fact is that we have uh, we've released several calls to action over the past uh, two weeks. I think we may have talked about Montana um, last Friday. I'm not sure. Um, this feels my days are starting to run together. Um, but, uh, so I'll just sort of run down the list here. Probably the most pressing thing to bring up. And I'm pretty sure that, that I brought this up last week. Um, there was the decision in the, um, uh, is it the seventh district court, Mm -hmm. uh, for Indiana, uh, for the Indiana vaping law. I really just want to remind people if, if they didn't get the message before, um, that the decision happened, but mm-hmm. things haven't taken effect yet. So as much as people want to start doing business in Indiana again, you got to mm-hmm. wait for things to take effect. And we're probably, um, you know, five to seven days into when the decision was made. So we're still looking at, you know, 15, 17 days before things become effective. And even then it's not, you know, kind of open the floodgates. Um, so I've been, you know, contacted, uh, Amy Lane from, uh, the Indiana smoke free association, uh, uh, had reached out again to say, you know, people are, people are just chomping at the bit to get back into Indiana and just, it's not, you know, you just gotta, it's like a couple of weeks, man, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, kind of cool your jets, things are happening. It's good news. But you got to wait for things to take effect, and well, the, and the I, wheels of the wheels of government are not a swift mover. No, but they, things are moving faster. You know how gas prices go up really quickly, but it takes years for them to come back down. Yes. Yeah, it's not really happening like that. It things are <laughs> things are turning around a little bit quicker here. So you know, it just everybody, please be patient. You will be rewarded um, with your patience. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, so just, I just wanted to briefly remind everyone about Indiana. Um, the other thing is I saw a video posted up earlier, um, I guess about an hour and a half ago, uh, someone was watching the hearing in the, uh, was it the Senate Judiciary Committee in Montana? Um, don't call, have to research that again. I had it in front of me and then I started looking at other things, um, the indoor vaping ban had a hearing on, I believe it was today. Okay. Um, 
maybe it was yesterday. I apologize. I, I had all this stuff in front of me and then I started looking, looking through other stuff. Um, okay. But uh, it's, that was SB 147. Okay. And uh, in the video, you can actually see one of the, the committee members is she calls a couple of people back up and asks them questions. And she very clearly articulates the difference between a lot of the, the definitive statements and evidence mm-hmm made and presented by opponents okay. to the clean to the this amendment mm-hmm. which was which is uh, in the vapors um okay. and and science generally um <laughs> and then she she very clearly contrasts that with the statements made by people who are pushing for this ban uh by simply pointing out that they are using words like may and can and might mm-hmm. that you know that doesn't really make a strong argument for uh, prohibiting indoor use of vapor products. And, right. and she has some very, very excellent questions. And um, I didn't see that the video didn't go as far as the committee taking a vote or any action. I'm not really sure. And right. I'm trying to get more information off the Montana site. Um, okay. I'll probably have to reach out to people in Montana who are actually there and maybe working with a lobbyist. Um, <laughs> but okay. uh so it, that's, it, as far as I'm concerned, that sounds like good news for Montana. Yeah. Um, the next item that we had was a um, potential online sales ban in Maryland. Um, and this was tucked into a licensing uh, bill. This is SB 119. Um, there was a hearing on... Thursday, yeah, yesterday. There was a hearing yesterday. Um, Kassaw's Ron Ward was there, uh, not under the the banner of Kassaw. He is he is also a business owner in in Baltimore, um, mm-hmm. but he presented testimony. I tried to watch the video, but it kept not loading properly, so I, I missed it. Um, okay. But uh, one of the reasons I didn't go down was because we got word uh, sort of towards the middle of the week that uh, even the bill sponsor was sort of lukewarm about this bill um and and there was no action that was going to be taken in this committee hearing um so uh it uh it's it's a licensing bill and it's very complicated it's basically a cut and paste of the uh state's otp licensing uh regulation and mm-hmm. of course, the, the 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 primary argument here is that the vapor industry doesn't function like the tobacco industry. Sure. Um, it, there there are, are many points at which people are are importing and exporting and selling these products, you know, to each other and direct to consumer and all of this stuff. It just it right. just doesn't function the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, whereas it's it's certainly acceptable and 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 appropriate to introduce and and you know work out legislation that that you know, licenses or, or registers businesses in the state for the purposes of, you know, monitoring compliance with, uh, you know, not selling to minors sure. um, to sort of dictate to the, the industry that, no, you, you, you know, distributors have to buy, buy from manufacturers and those mm-hmm. manufacturers have to have a physical presence in the state and retailers can only buy from distributors licensed by the state. And, and so on yeah. that, you know, establishing that very strict three tiered system and making it all about in-state manufacturers, distributors and retailers and so on um, 
it is, is actually, you know, puts up a lot of unnecessary barriers. Um, and especially, in, and, it, and it can dramatically impact consumer access to the wide variety of products, especially when you include in that, uh, that nothing can be sold online or through the mail. Um, people may not know this about Maryland, but there are some really rural parts of Maryland. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, so uh, there are certainly, I'm sure, uh, hundreds of people who, who don't live right around the corner from a vapor shop. Uh, sure. but, but they do, uh, of course, likely have a gas station within a mile or two of their home, um, where they could, you know, go get their cigarettes easily if they lose access to vapor products. So, um, huh. uh, that's that there's some, some public health and, and consumer access concerns there. But the good news is that, um, not a whole lot of warm, fuzzy feelings for this bill, even from the bill sponsor. <laughs> the concerning news is that there is a companion bill in the House. Um, I don't have that bill number in front of me, um, right. but uh, it, there, it, it has a hearing, I believe, on February 13th or February 15th. Um, I'll have to look that up, and I'll drop okay. that note in our chat so you can include that in the okay. notes. Um and um, there is, we haven't put an, a, an alert out for this yet, but I'm sure it's in the pipeline. Um, uh, Maryland's looking at an indoor vaping ban, I believe. Good Lord. I forget the bill number, but um, I'll double check on that and get you the number. Um, yeah. And now moving right along to Kansas. I can't remember if we talked about this last week. Does that ring a bell to you, Kansas? Uh, I don't believe so. So, <laughs> your finger's tired yet? Uh, <laughs> you're making me want to get um, Dragon Software for this. <laughs> ah, nice. <laughs> Good idea. Um, so, well, Kansas will be quick. Uh, Kansas uh, Senate Bill 54 uh, is uh, introduced and uh, they're, they're working on trying to get that a hearing. Um, it is, uh, I, I actually, I think it is scheduled for a hearing. It's just not, wasn't up on the website the last time I checked. Um, this changes how the e-liquid tax is applied. And uh, it, as far as, it, as it's written, uh, and I believe there's a, there's a companion bill uh, in the house. I'm, I'll have to double check that. Um, it's slightly, it's worded slightly different. Um, but, uh, the, the idea here is to, um, get that tax to apply only to, um, e-liquid that contains nicotine. Okay. Um, another, you know, ultimately people in Kansas are going to be arguing for reducing the tax to five cents per milliliter, um, and this is potentially going to be kind of dramatic. Um, Reynolds was a supporter of the 20 cent per milliliter tax. Um, and, uh, and are, are not, I assume they're not really happy about reducing the tax. Um, I don't know if they're actually opposing it right now or what, but, uh, okay. so that's happening in Kansas. Okay. Um, the other thing before we go into the weekend, it's, a, it's a bit too late for people to be doing this. Um, but Allegheny County, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, 
um, the indoor vaping ban is on the agenda for, I believe, Monday's uh, county council hearing. I got to open up Bill Godshall's email again. Wait a second. It was just in my own email that I had this. Um, I just sent out an alert for it. So um, they sent this out uh, earlier today, um, Monday, February 6th at 5 p.m. in the Allegheny County Courthouse, fourth floor gold room. Um, The county council will be having a regular hearing and the indoor vaping ban is on the agenda. Um, You can, uh, there, I I guess at this point, you're sort of at the, you need to use the online, um, the the link to sign up to speak if you would like to speak. Um, But uh, anybody living in in Allegheny County got an alert today. So open your email and there's all kinds of information in there. Um, and, and you need to get that done 24 hours before the hearing. Okay. Um, Gregory Conley will be there. Joel Nitzkin will be there. Um, wow. And I think I there's a bit of a, I don't know if I actually said it. I didn't. Um, Bill Godshall, they're not letting him on the, the panel. But um, Dr. Nitzkin? Wow. Yeah. God, there's a blast from the past. That's a name I haven't heard forever. Yeah, he he pops up every now and then, and nice. um, I think anything within within striking distance of DC, he'll he can he can get to pretty easily. I think he's nice. based in DC, so yeah, so I know that will... he was in Philadelphia and some other places. So they won't let Bill speak, really? Um, yeah, I guess he asked to be on the panel, and they didn't. They didn't. Uh... I'm sure that they've heard from Bill a lot, <laughs> so maybe they just want to see a different face. I'm not sure. Um, but uh, I think he's still trying to get, he's going to speak anyway. He's just not on a, on this specific panel. No. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's that. Okay. <sighs> I think you'd have a hard time keeping Bill from saying his piece. He yeah, will no, find Bill, a way. Yeah. Bill will find a way, uh, yeah. which is, which is great. He's a force of nature. And um, while we're in Pennsylvania, um, I believe I haven't gotten around to this yet, but um, the Pennsylvania vapor tax. So right now we have uh, from Representative Jeff Wheland a, um, a co-sponsor support memo. This is how legislation kind of gets made in Pennsylvania. Um, okay. First, you know, the, the, the bill, quote unquote, gets circulated as a memo. And okay. support for it is is gathered, and then there's you know it's officially introduced. Uh, so Representative Whelan's co-sponsorship support memo has been circulating for probably a week or two now, uh, and then uh, today, I believe it was I believe it was today, um, Senator Bartolotta um, introduced her co-sponsorship support memo for essentially a companion bill. Um, so we have. Co-sponsorship support memos circulating for the Senate and the House, um, and we will likely be updating our engagement to urge um, lawmakers in Pennsylvania to sign on in support of, the, of this measure, which would reduce, I believe, I think, unless it's changed, reduce the uh, tax on vapor products down to five cents per milliliter instead of the ridiculous 40% wholesale. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's that was a little crazy. It's a, a little bit of a, a insane number when you worked it all out. It's a lot crazy. Yeah, it's, um, nobody's gonna pay that. They'll just go elsewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, some people will, you know, I mean, if it's, if that's, if that's your, you know, it's just, people will end up shopping online. We know this, but there, there are others, I think that will continue to support their local vapor shop. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I don't really know, you know, the per pack equivalency is sort of a myth when it comes to vapor products. Um, But I think that there will still be people who see that they are still saving money by, by switching to vaping and, and um, even though it is completely unjustifiable to enact any extra taxes on vapor products, sure. um, you know, they value their health and, and, and will still continue to shop with some retailers in, in this state. You know, some people have managed to, to stay open, but, you know, there are others that, you know, business has dropped off so sharply for mm-hmm. uh, for several reasons you know we we've had this nationwide essentially misinformation campaign coming from federal agencies oh, to yeah. state health departments and you know even though oh, yeah. even though you know a health department in California puts out its own campaign through the miracle of social media it gets everywhere so yep. you, you know you have people in Pennsylvania that have been receiving these messages about the dangers of vaping mm-hmm. and you know they it's it's affecting their purchasing habits so well it doesn't help when hhs makes misleading statements do you know what i mean that's not helping no and hopefully that will change it soon <laughs> yeah well no it's kind of hard it's it's yeah. it's hard to it's hard to tell um you know yeah. we'll see um <laughs> you know it, it it is kind of funny to watch the rest of the world now um deal in or you know experience alternative facts um you know people uh, who have been working in tobacco control um working in tobacco harm reduction for for decades um Mm -hmm. have been dealing with alternative facts for for that long um so it's sort of i I believe carl actually blogged about this a, a couple weeks ago um, and it was sort of a like welcome to my world kind of post. Um, so yeah, welcome, welcome aboard, everyone. Um, <laughs> people who've been dealing with tobacco are familiar with this dance. Yeah. <clears throat> alternative facts. Got I love, I love how that sounds. Alternative facts. It's like alternative histories. Yeah. It's it's basically a, a different version of the truth. <laughs> Should we put it that way? <laughs> yeah, you know, you just you you pick and choose your numbers from what suits your preferred narrative, and um, and yeah, Stanton Glance is a master at that. He's been, oh. been doing it for a while. Him, Chapman, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah they're all very good at that. Yeah, they they massage numbers to get uh, numbers that uh, just make no sense. Yeah, it's interesting stuff. Yeah. Yep. Fun stuff. So, um, 
you said you were going to be working Super Bowl Sunday because you were going to Oregon? Yeah, right. well, I'm I'm flying out uh, Sunday morning-ish, uh, and I'll be in a, in a hotel room somewhere near the Portland airport um, that evening. Uh, and of course, you know, the work never stops and Monday is a great time to, to be putting things out. I have a newsletter that we decided I was supposed to get out at the end of January. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, trying to fit that in with everything else gets a little bit complicated. Right. Um, and of course you get new information that comes up. It's like, oh, this would be great to include in the newsletter. And then, you know, it's tomorrow. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I, I'm still working on that and, and I, I, would love to get that out tomorrow, but I'm not going to make any promises because tomorrow's sure. Saturday. Um, uh-huh. And, uh, and yeah. And so we've got things coming up um, for obviously Arizona with tobacco, tw- tobacco 21 is just going to be, that's, that's what next week's going to be about. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and everything else, but I'll just for now say that tobacco 21 is something that everybody needs to be really conscious of. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, uh... Oh, I, all of that. And I didn't talk about why I'm going to Oregon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of um, what I was getting yeah, at. I, yeah. Um, uh, the 7th Tuesday uh-huh. is um, the Northwest Vapor Association's uh, Vape Day at the Capitol. Uh, so you will have uh, businesses and vapors from all over the state coming in to have I, I believe there's a bit of a rally in the morning and then uh anybody who registers uh can uh, i believe they'll be working to set set up meetings with with your lawmakers so um it's an opportunity to get together and and make a little bit of noise and also take the opportunity to walk around the capital and meet with your lawmakers nice. um, so i'll be there gregory conley will be there and uh stefan didak will be there um, I'm sure some other people, but, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to go. Uh, I haven't been, to, I haven't been to Salem. So, um, I'm, and the, the Northwest Vapor Association people are really nice and, um, and can really use all the help they can get. Uh, they, they work hard, but man, they're in Oregon. So that's, <laughs> yeah. that's difficult. Yeah. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not real easy there. It seems like it's easier there to, um, Lob, not say lobby, but to talk to your lawmakers about um, marijuana than it is to talk about uh, tobacco harm reduction, which is just—it's so bizarre to me. You know what I mean? Those those two things just it, it blows my mind. <laughs> yeah, it, it it's um... yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it is. It, it, it's it's it, it is really interesting to me how on one hand we can be about daylighting a product, um, fully acknowledging that the drug war has done nothing good for anybody, sure. uh, and yet on the other hand we have this march towards prohibition of uh, a product that has been legal for centuries, yeah. um, and uh, and yeah, it, it it really is kind of amazing that even the most progressive people in the country are just that just escapes them uh it, it is it is a glaring hypocrisy yeah well i mean i think that's why kusa and things like the northwest vapors association that's why you exist to fight back against that at least for vapors 
Yep. Or to try to. So it's at least we have you. And we have Greg and we have <laughs> Stefan. And we have the regional groups and people are taking action, which is really all you can do. Yeah, it's good, you know, and, and it's uh you know, hopefully we get some movement with, with the FDA this year. Um, and, and we say this every year, you know, while people are sort of focused on what's happening at the federal level, uh, the states remain at a hotbed of activity. And, oh, yeah. um, you know, it, 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 it is kind of interesting. I, I think that, that the longer that we have to do this, the more organized we get. Yeah. And, um, and, and I, I, at least in terms of us, you know, as a community being organized, I, 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 I hope this momentum continues because in the states, in the municipalities where we have had damaging, uh, THR legislation passed, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's going to come a point where, where we need to start riding the ship and, and, and undoing some of the damage, mm-hmm. um, and uh, which, speaking of which, um, people, I, I, I hope that people are tuning into C-SPAN. I mean, now that there is this focus <laughs> on I'm politics, sorry. I mean, you know, it's it, it's kind of interesting to me. You know, my wife and I have this discussion about, you know, oh, did you hear this? Did you hear that? And I'm like, yeah, I was. Yeah. <laughs> or vote. I was watching the debate about it. And, you know, it's, it's being, working in advocacy, you, you really have to, to work to, to find the sources where the, the news comes from. Oh, yeah. You kind of have to yeah. sit through it. If you take the digest, you're getting everybody's kind of spin on it. Mm-hmm. So it, it is really important to watch where this stuff is actually happening. Um, yeah. And so I was, I had C-SPAN on for most of the day yesterday and, and they were, they're already getting into to CRAs. Um, wow. And, and there is some discussion about, um, you know, there's an article that, that I had shared with you that, you know, um, yeah. there, you know, one of the, the people who was part of actually writing the Congressional Review Act um, right. was, was stating that, that no, it, you know, as far as, as he was concerned, um, it can be interpreted that this, this Congress can look as far back as 2009 when in considering, you know, regulations from the executive that they could be um, rescinding or overturning or undoing. Um, And uh, that's one interpretation. Mm -hmm. Uh, So all of this sort of, you know, comes down to how people actually interpret it. And, you know, where is a judge going to fall on this stuff and, and, and so on. And, And as far as I know, they haven't reached back beyond the 60 legislative day threshold right. that 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 every most everyone has sort of uh, agreed is is the limitation there which puts fda deeming out of out of reach right. um but it will be interesting to see if they if they do want to push um push the boundaries and, and go further back um yeah. and, and i i, I kind I was going to say, I don't know if there's an opportunity for, for us to engage on that. Um, still kind of waiting to hear more. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, did just want to yeah. put that out there if for nothing more than to let people know that it is, you know, yeah. it is being discussed. 
Well, I mean, that's why I kind of always liked the Reigns Act. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Every year that thing gets reintroduced, and it's like some year it'll be the year. <laughs> um, uh, Reigns is regulations by executive in need of re review, I believe it is. Okay. By Congress. Um, and that was if a bill caused like a ridiculous amount of money to comply with that Congress could look at it, which to me has always kind of made sense because Congress is supposed to be the original lawmaker and you don't really so much see that anymore. Um, if you look at a lot of the bills that come signed from Congress and you sift through them and you read them, um, you see the, the language and then you get to the end and it basically says that, you know, Congress congratulates such and such a, a regulatory agency for coming up with this bold action. So they're not really making laws anymore. And yet, technically, if you look at the Constitution, they were the only ones who were supposed to make laws. So I just find that interesting. And I think the, the CRA is excellent for that. I, I think it needs to go back further than it does. But that's a personal opinion, you know. I just shared a, a, a link with you. I don't know if you can open it, but it's from uh, my emails. Uh, I get the... Uh, email updates from speaker Paul Ryan. Okay. And uh, so the house did pass the Reigns Act uh, Ooh, earlier nice. in January. Nice. And uh, it's, uh, so I guess it still needs to go through the Senate. Um, but uh, yeah, that is something that that's moving along. Um, stuff. Yeah. See, I always thought like, and I hate to bring this stuff up, even if we don't get FDA action, there are always other avenues you can take, I think. If rains get passed, that's something to do. The CRA, if they really go back as 2000, far as 2000, and that's something you can do. And if worse comes to worst, I mean, there's always the 10th Amendment. Um, and there are always ways you can fight erroneous regulation. Um, it's just that people think you know, there's only one way, but there's always plenty of ways. And it, it just requires getting the momentum if you need it, you know, and, and seeing which way the political wind is blowing. Yeah. And that is um, the, uh, I, I see the note from, from Vary that we're, we're running long here. Um, but I, I, I just to, to, to dovetail on that, I, I would say that, um, you know, an important thing to remember going forward this year uh, is that, uh, you know, we, and I mean, everyone working on this it, it is considering multiple options here yep you know last year there and and there is this tendency people like to pick a team they like to back a horse that they think is going to win and and ride sure. that over the finish line but at, at no point really in this entire effort has there been one single horse it's yeah. always been multiple avenues of, of, of attack. Sure. We have the lawsuit. We had standalone legislation with H.R. 2058. We yeah. had the Cole Bishop Amendment, which is a rider on the appropriations bill, which, sure. by the way, is still in the appropriations <laughs> bill and will yeah. still likely need support in the spring when they come back and debate the Cromnibus. Right. Um, so you know, we have the legislative approach. We have something through 
through the, the judicial system. And then there is also potentially an administrative uh, solution to this, which is something that will have to come from the Trump administration and whoever, you know, takes the reins at the FDA. Sure. So, um, yeah, you know, this is this is about, you know, developing the, the efforts and, and supporting them as they go forward. And and, uh, you know, it's it's a multi pronged uh, attack here. And, and it's also about, you know, this is something that's going to have to be done in stages. Oh, yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of hope, first of all, that the deeming regulations just completely get ripped off the books. Right. I'm not saying that's impossible, but the that chances might happen. that might not happen <laughs> and it might not happen in time. Yeah, um, exactly. You know, the other alternative is amending the Tobacco Control Act. Certainly mm -hmm. an excellent idea, but that may not happen in time. Sure. Um, you know, remember that, you know, Congress is, is in session for, um, well, I guess it's, is it two years? We're the 115th Congress, right? Yeah. Yes. So, and, and that, that lasts basically for two years. Two years. Um, yeah. So, you know, this is something that can go all the way down to the wire, the wire mm -hmm. meaning sometime in December in 2018. Sure. Well, that's, you know, that's not, that that's not. <laughs> That's not August 1st, 2018, which would no. be great. That's that's December something to 2018. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it really is about timing. And, and so yeah. if we have to go about this, tear, if we have to tear the wall down brick by brick, that's what we've got to do. Um, yeah. But, you know, certainly if we have that opportunity where we can just, you know, smash a Mack truck through it, then you know, <laughs> that's the way I, to go. You know, we're going to get behind but that, too. But there are other options and people don't know that people think that one thing is the be all end all and it's a multi-pronged approach yeah i think so and i think it's good that people know that there's hope now you know yeah. so and that's a really good thing and i think maybe that's pretty positive to, if, to have hope <laughs> if, if if nothing else comes from this this whole effort uh, right. I, I hope that tens of thousands, potentially hundreds of thousands of people uh, paying attention to this issue um, are becoming more aware of the legislative process and, yeah. um, and elections and, and, and how all of this stuff works. I know that I'm learning a bunch, you know, every single day. Yeah. Um, I, I, of course, have the time to do it. My, my time mm -hmm. is, is compensated. But, right. um, you know, I, I, I like to think that, you know, one of the things that at least Kassaw contributes to this is that we we try to keep people aware of the process exactly. and um and uh yeah empowerment is, is part of our deal so um knowledge is so, power yeah. like yeah, dr who said we're we're in a room of weapons it's a library pick your weapon it's kind of like that that's kind of like what kasad does nice i'm i'm not as i'm not a doctor who nerd but i'll just take your word for it okay <laughs> other people know what i'm talking about so fantastic Okay, <laughs> I guess is that is that it for this week, Alex? Uh, I think it's going to have to be. I don't. Okay. I don't think I have anything else, and we've run way long. So okay. Well, um, thank you for everything you've done for us, Alex, and um, we will see you next week. Yes, you will. Okay. All right. Next Friday. Thanks. Thank you. Bye bye. See ya. Very don't stop rolling. You can get Casa updates at SoundCloud. You can get CASA updates for the podcast at the CASA.org website. You can get CASA updates by subscribing in iTunes.
So there is always a way to find out what is going on with Kasa and Kasa's updates. I just wanted to let you know that. And now you can stop recording. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. Welcome to the Auntie Nanny portion of the show. <laughs> uh, with me this evening is the very best producer that money can't buy. Very. How are you this evening? I'm good. <laughs> You're good. All right. And Jeremy, are you here? No, he's not. No, he's not. All right. So, so far, it is going to be just you and me, which is kind of fine. Uh, let me go because I just made a, another document. So I've got to open up the document that I first made. Uh, so I am yeah, going I to grab that. Yeah. You were getting lonely? No. I, mean, I certainly didn't mean that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Do you want to pick one or should we just start? <sighs> uh, sunscreen. sunscreen. Lighten things up to begin with, you know. Okay. It's a lost story, so easy oh, to find. Yes, it is. Exactly. Rhode Island will vote on a bill that gives kids the right to wear sunscreen. This was written by Lenore Sinaski, who, uh, if you know the blog uh, Free Range Kids, she's written that. She's also known as the worst mother in America. <clears throat> Today, the Rhode Island legislator turns its attention to a matter of such pressing import it could possibly garner some attention, even though it has nothing to do with President Trump. In the ocean state, all slightly stinging eyes are on the sunscreen bill. Do children have the fundamental right to apply sunscreen while at school? Five daring Rhode Island state representatives believe they do. And so bill LC000842 to be voted on today proposes any person, including but not limited to students, Parents or school personnel may possess and use a topical sunscreen product without a physician's note or prescription while on school property or at a school-related event or activity. The bill goes on to explain that the law would allow sallow students to avoid overexposure to the sun. So that's what it's for. So long as the product is regulated by the Federal Food and Drug Administration for over-the-counter use, that is. I'm sure this must have been prompted by crazy stories like this one, where three girls suffered severe sunburns at their school's field day because the principal said the school was not allowed to administer sunscreen for liability reasons. And in fact, the principal added that if the student did not have a doctor's note officially approving the goop, it would be considered contraband. Rhode Island, the state that once proposed a law that it would make it a crime to let any child under the age of 12 get off the school bus unless an adult is waiting for them, takes a high dive into common sense. And now we return to our regularly scheduled all Trump all the time programming so that's pathetic i grew up in rhode island <laughs> they weren't always quite that bad yeah it just it it floors me that i mean even now i think i don't think there's a school in the uk where on a sunny day the teacher wouldn't be asking students oh have you got sunblock when they're going outside yeah. on breaks and stuff it's bloody insane Okay, it didn't come up very often where I grew up, uh, <laughs> but yeah, they, yeah, they did. They did on sunny days when we did get them. You know, the, like the PE teacher. Mm -hmm. um, 
would be concerned with the kids going out in the blazing sun. Uh, and yeah. wouldn't... The thing is, the kids would just put on sun cream. The teacher wouldn't go, no, you can't use that. It's, it's so bizarre because I know people think that the United Kingdom and portions of Scotland and everything are the be-all, end-all when it comes to the nanny state, and that's not true. <laughs> um, Australia is the, the people... winner. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they are. Oh, my God, they are. But um, you did send us a bunch of your Puritans and that sense has hey, never hey, really gone we away. We didn't send them. <laughs> they left and went like, we're, we're pissed off at not being able to discriminate against people we don't like, so we're going to go find our own country. <laughs> oh, well, you know. They didn't get their way, this... so they left. And, and, and lots of people from various European countries went with them. Yeah. Because, you know, yeah, Puritanism it, it, was quite widespread in Europe. Yeah, well, yeah. And it, 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 was, uh, it was the worst of them that got on the boats and went, screw you guys. Oh, you, oh, you think? <laughs> 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 you know, and, and Australia got all the criminals, and yet they seem like they got the worst of the worst. They must have sent some jailers along with these people, and that, that jailer bloodline must have been very strong. All I can say about Australia is... But right, right. There are connections. Right? <laughs> Australia, yeah. California, sunny nearly all the time. Obviously, <laughs> too much sun exposure messes you Fry. up. Frying the brains. Frying yeah. the brains, as it were. Okay. Although not right, Africa, so... because those with of a coloured persuasion, I don't know what the political correct term is these days. Uh, those with darker melanin in their skin? Yeah. Uh, actually, they have some protection, so yeah, they're not quite as bad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, and that's actually true. So yeah. Um. Let me see. Let me see. Let me see. It's there's so much. It's almost hard to pick one. Um. Let's see. I I I think I want to talk about bankers. I always want to talk about bankers. That's. That's uh, that's something I really dig, not because I like bankers, but because I th think I have a money fetish. That's probably it. Okay. Federal Reserve bankers mocked unemployed Americans behind closed doors. I know it's a shock. In 2011, unemployment was at a near crisis level. The jobless rate was stuck around nine percent nationally, an unusually high number due to the continuing effects of the financial crash. House Democrats were aghast. With almost five unemployed Americans for every job opening, too many people remain jobless because of a lack of work, not of a lack of wanting to work, said Congressman Lloyd Daggett, um, who's a Democrat from Texas. So in early November 2011, they introduced a bill to reauthorize federal unemployment benefits, an insurance program designed to aid those looking for work. Behind closed doors at the Federal Reserve, however, the conversation struck a different tone. Um, by the way, if you want some fun reading, the Federal Reserve minutes that come out after a meeting are, they're worth your time. The Federal Reserve's mandate is to promote maximum employment, which essentially means print enough money so that everyone who wants one has a job. Yet, according to Cranscripts, released this month after the traditional five-year waiting period, 
Federal Reserve officials in November 2011 were debating whether unemployment was caused by bad work ethics and drug use rather than by the greatest financial crisis in 80 years. Uh, this debate then factored into the argument over setting monetary policy. Quote, I frequently hear of jobs going unfilled because a large number of applicants have difficulty passing basic requirements like drug tests or simply demonstrating the requisite work ethic, said Dennis Lockhart, a former Citibank executive who ran the Atlanta Federal Reserve Bank. One contact in the staffing industry told us that during their pre-testing process, a majority, actually 60% of applicants, failed to answer O to the question of how many days a week it's acceptable to miss work. The room of central bankers then broke into laughter. Charles Plosser, the president of the Philadelphia Federal Reserve, cited work ethic as a common complaint he heard in his district, both in rural and inner city areas. A contact of his who owned 60 McDonald's restaurants said passing drug tests, passing literacy tests, and work ethic are the primary problems he has in hiring people. His wife, he noted, had attended a meeting in Philadelphia where employers cited literacy, work ethic, and drugs as impediments to hiring. It was hardly the first time these bankers blamed unemployment on the unemployed, rather than, say, the bankers. In an April meeting that year, Richmond Federal Reserve President Jeff Lacker told participants that several firms told us of difficulty finding adequate workers because they preferred to collect unemployment benefits or can't pass drug tests. He reiterated the point in November, saying that in West Virginia, he was told by an employment agency that unquestionably the biggest problem in hiring skilled and unskilled workers was the inability to pass a drug test. Lacker's Federal Reserve District includes West Virginia. In August, he again spoke of widespread reports about hard drug use, Oxycontin and methamphetamine in Appalachia and other rural parts of our district, in particular Appalachia. Apparently, his colleagues responded with laughter again because he then said drug abuse and the hardship involved in unemployment aren't really laughing matters. Usage, he noted, isn't higher than the national norm in West Virginia. It's hard to pin this down qualitatively, he continued, wondering if there was something meaningful there as a contributor to impediments to labor market functioning. These debates took place within the Federal Open Market Committee, the Federal Reserve body tasked with influencing the availability and cost of money and credit to help promote national economic goals. The debate revealed the split within the Federal Reserve System between the Hawks, who worry more about inflation than unemployment, and the Doves, who believe that there are too many going without jobs. Uh, typically, Hawks tend to lean to the right politically, and Doves lean slightly more to the left. Lacker is the most, one of the most hawkish members of the FOMC, which means he tends to be in favor of higher interest rates and higher unemployment to ward off inflation. In 2015, Lacker ascribed increasing inequality to the lack of college education among the poor. Sarah Bloom Raskin, a dovish member of the Board of Governors, countered by saying that unemployment was a function of the financial crisis. The economy remains mired in the worst slump since that of the 1930s, she said. Daniel Tarallo, another dovish Federal Reserve governor appointed by President Obama, called the focus on drug use a red herring. He said, we had that problem 25 years ago, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. We have it today, and we're going to have it five years from now. He cited housing debt from the largest housing bubble in history as a core driver of unemployment. The transcripts illustrate how controversial method of picking Federal Reserve officials plays out in setting monetary policy. The three men who cited work ethic or drug use as a cause of unemployment instead of the financial crash were picked by the regional private sector businessmen to lead the local reserve banks. The Dodd-Frank financial reform law passed in 2010 mandated that the Federal Reserve Board in Washington approve the choices of private businessmen 
but the board has yet to reject any suggested candidates. The board members who cited the financial crash as causing unemployment were appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate. The concept of having private business interests selecting public officials has been criticized by experts. As Wharton, professor and author of The Power of Independence of the Federal Reserve, uh, Peter Condy Brown put it, it's not clear at all that the opaque and obscure process by which the private sector selects reserve bank presidents produces superior central bankers than the public process used to select the remaining principal officers of the United States. And this controversial selection process risks having, as he put it, a system for enhancing the influence of certain slices of society on our central banking policy. Lacker and Lockhart are retiring this year. Advocates and experts are putting pressure on the Richmond Federal Reserve to replace retiring Federal Reserve Bank president with someone more attuned to the reality of unemployment. Fed Up, a coalition of advocates seeking to shift the Fed from its traditionally pro-bank policies, is seeking to have the regional bank's president pick it picked with more attention to the needs of workers. Jordan Halliter, deputy campaigner of Fed Up, lashed out at Lacker's comments as related in the newly released transcripts. Even nine years into the recovery, workers are still struggling to get the wages and the hours they need, he said. Yet with unemployment above double digits in Hughes Swatch of President Lacker's district in 2011, he was citing anecdotes about drug use and desire to collect unemployment benefits as key reasons why employers weren't hiring. Rather than looking for solutions and talking to people who are out of work, he was seeking excuses from employers. President Donald Trump has a number of vacancies on the Federal Reserve Board to fill as well. He has been highly critical of Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen. He argued, without citing evidence, that she pursued monetary policy goals to help support Barack Obama and elect Hillary Clinton. If Yellen and Tarallo follow custom and step down from their board slots in 2018, Trump could appoint a majority of Federal Reserve Board members within two years. Despite the importance of monetary policy, the Federal Reserve keeps the transcripts of internal deliberations of the committee that sets the monetary policy out of public view for at least five years, which is why these things are worth reading. Some in the financial service, uh, uh, okay, but for the people who attend those meetings, take other jobs, some in the financial service industry. In 2010, incoming House Oversight Committee Chairman Daryl Issa questioned whether it was appropriate for the Fed to withhold its deliberations for so long. If the Fed's full transcripts can be released sooner, they should be, he said. The debate in the Fed and within Congress was ultimately resolved. The Federal Reserve kept interest rates low, and in 2011, a new wave of recently elected Tea Party Republicans and Democrats finally compromised on language to cut unemployment benefits. Neither West Virginia Senator Shelley Moore Capoto nor Joe Manchin would comment on Lacker's discussion of the West Virginia drug epidemic and its relationship to unemployment. The Appalachia region, including West Virginia, went strongly for Trump in the 2016 election. Um, and we've talked about this before. I think yeah. a lot of people that voted for him voted because they wanted jobs. But, um, but we've talked about the bankers before. I think people don't realize what the bankers actually think about them. And that's why I've said these Federal Reserve notes, when they come out, they really are worth reading. Yeah, I've read them. And, and when they talk about how it's better to have high unemployment because they start citing global statistics and they talk about how we're all interconnected, it, it really is something you should read if you're all interested in money. But go ahead. Yeah, I mean, things, <laughs> things to note. The Federal Reserve and banking in general, I think after this latest crash, because let's face it, they've caused just a few, uh, 
The the drug the complaint about not being able to get staff due to drug testing. Um, mm -hmm. Too many of the applicants are on drugs. Yeah, if they were getting hair follicle tests every week, how would they do? Well, I mean, you know, because once you get to a certain level in these organisations, apparently, you're allowed to do what you want. Uh, but the on the ground well, staff doing the day to day running, they have to yeah. be drug free. You but know, you know in... from <laughs> exposés by ex-people who've worked at various places, you know, yeah. half of them are on coke most of the time. Um, oh. <laughs> I mean, and it's not just that. I mean, the bankers that helped cause the last crash with the derivatives bullshit, with yeah. the selling of the toxic waste dumps, the tranches... Um, a lot of these guys were coked up out of their minds in strip clubs all the time. Oh, and don't worry. We know that. <laughs> Look on the bright side. The very few restrictions put on banking after the crash are about to be removed by Trumpkin. So, <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> won't know, that be good? They'll they'll be back to know, being completely unregulated. Yeah, you know, I I lean neither to the left or to the right. Um, you know me. Oh yeah. But you you know I just I, I mean the fact I he's looking at dismantling bullshit. it, but hasn't suggested any replacement. That's just worrying, because well, yeah I that mean, that just gives that gives them a green light. Yeah, go back to doing whatever the hell you want. Yeah. Well, I mean it gives them a green light, and then I'm telling you, I think if you get another bank bailout, I there's a story. <clears throat> From 2011, I think we covered it. It's called The Torches and Pitchforks Are Coming. Yeah. Do you remember that story? Mm -hmm. um, I, I think if you get another sort of monumental moment where the poor have to bail out the rich yet again because of their shitty monetary policy, I really do think you're going to see that become a reality. And then all these fuckers playing, flying to New Zealand and building their bomb shelters... Um. It is going to be a race to see. I think most of them won't even win. make it to their limo, let alone to I, their I, plane. <laughs> you know what? When you take food out of people's children's mouths, then they care. Yeah, that's that's the one thing I can tell you. Oh, and uh, yeah, living in the country, I do. Yes, we have we we have the Conservative Party here, mm -hmm. so we we uh, if you want to see. What? How, how much the de how far the demonization of the poor and the unemployed can go? Just look at the Conservative Party in the UK last ten well, years. I mean, I've got to say, all right, they're experts at I, it. Yeah, and I've always said this. Now I pay my taxes, so I don't have to go and live in a rape cage. Okay, that's how I look at it. I don't want to, but I'm being extorted, and it's easier than going to prison. So I pay my taxes. Yeah. But I think if I pay my taxes, I should have a say where they go. And yeah. I'll tell you, I know where they want them to go. I want them to fix my infrastructure. I want them to support the sick and the poor. I want them to take care of the people who are physically unable to work. I want them to take care of people who, say, have autism. I want them to do the good things, right? I don't want them to be spent on war, on drone bombing brown people we've never met. On killing the Alwaki family. I, I don't want my money supporting that. I don't have a problem with a strong military. Right? I come from a military family. 
But I do have a problem with some of these policies I see being set out. And here's something fun. Um, just as an aside, this occurred to me the other day. When you look at the travel ban <laughs> that that was posted, okay? I'm going to tell you just for fun. There is a video out there called Seven Countries in Five Years. I want you to play the video, and I want you to look at all the countries that have had a travel ban issued yeah. against them. And tell me what you think about that. And then, when you're done with that, I want you to explain to me why the four countries that have actually committed violence against American citizens en masse are not on that list. I'm sorry, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I think I may know the four countries you're on about. Yeah, well, they, they you may know, they may have lots of money. Yeah, and oil, yeah. And, oil. And, and and yeah, a lot and, of hobbyists. Yeah, yeah, and and, yeah, and lot lots of, of people who build golf courses and let them come and play golf. Um, yeah, well, yeah, are are really friendly with them, uh, <laughs> and our politicians bow at their feet. Um, you know, I I have a real problem. I I I think in a lot of ways. I've seen a lot of the stuff that Trump proposed, right? And and if he actually does some of the stuff, it'll be amazing. But that thing was just, that was a, a dink bomb. Well, I that believe was they're now ridiculous. estimating that 60,000 visas that got cancelled due to it. I, I, 60,000. Ridiculous. Yeah. It, but you have ridiculous. Spicer on TV going, it only affected 109. Okay, well... Again, we talked Which about living yeah, what we said last week world. that that was only 109 that managed to get to the United States <laughs> on planes. It yeah. didn't count all the people that were abroad trying to get back to the United States. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, this is a, a post-truth society. We've talked about it before. Um, well, well, as I, I said do... in our private chat earlier, post-sanity society. <laughs> it's just interesting to me, you know. I'm neither for Trump nor against Trump. I think you you roll the dice, you get what you get, and you got to see where they go. But when they fuck up, you have to call them on it. You don't fucking call them on it. You're a coward. And, well, yeah, and this I mean... was done really wrongly. And I have a lot of friends who are like, well, Trump's trying to protect this. And I'm like, but you don't know. But it isn't Trump that's writing this shit. You, but you're not <laughs> looking at what you're not looking at is those four countries, what yeah. they've done, the amount of money that we send to them, that they send to us, um, their connections to ISIS. You're not looking at all this stuff. There's a lot of background to all this. And you don't have to be particularly well-versed in geopolitical connections. F funny you funny aside, to be... funny aside to lighten yes. the mood, right? Yes. Something I've been doing. I started doing it on Inauguration Day. I have a load of color charts for now. Apologies, but I, I'm this is the way I am, right? Okay. I've got loads of color charts of different wood varnishes and lacquers, and any time Trump does a public speech to distract from what he's to, to 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 lessen the blow of what's coming out of his mouth. I'm busy mm -hmm. trying to color match what color he is that day. You know, I've noticed he's getting lighter. Like, well, no, no, no. He got darker. Inauguration day, he was a kind of spiced oak. 
soft early <laughs> light oak. But a few days ago, the um, Attorney General announcement, uh, he was more sandalwood. <laughs> so I'm not kidding yeah. when I do this, but it you know, does make it more palatable when you're listening to him speak. You're you busy know, sitting there trying to color match what color he is that day. <laughs> I I don't agree with a lot of his policies. I really yeah. don't. I, I do like what he says about raising the taxes on billionaires, but I think you're going to force them the <laughs> country. If you do, you're going to force them running out of here en masse, right? Well, that, that plus a fact. Yeah, there I don't believe that no, he's going to do that for a minute. <laughs> there is no way on God's green earth you can take his tax policy of people making under $25,000 or couples making under fifty, not paying any taxes. There is no way that's not going to happen. Taxes have always been a sort of, what is the word I want to call it? They've sort of been a tariff on having the nerve to be poor yeah. in a society full of fucking rich people. Right. I, that's kind of how I've got to look at this. You know, it's blackmail for being poor. Yeah. And, um, you know, the rich aren't going to pay that shit. Nope. They're not going to pay the amount he's talking about taking from them. And we're certainly not going to be able to get a letter. You know, I don't think people know this. One of the tax policies was that if you made $25,000 or $50,000, you were going to get a one page letter that you could send to the IRS that you signed instead of filing a tax document that said I win <laughs> I certainly don't think that's a tax policy that um, is going to be put through it sounds wonderful I love it because I do think taxation is, is theft and if you're going to take from me you know, without my consent every week um, we have a problem and I do think you should have some saying it um it, it it just is what it is yeah but I, I don't think but considering who's in his cabinet and who he is that yeah i'm gonna attach the ricks i'm gonna tax the rich yeah we believe you mm -hmm. yeah mm, sounds credible you're gonna tax well... yourself more uh, <laughs> uh, yeah well i mean the, the... I just don't. The guy who spent who 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 spent most of his time hiding his assets so nobody knows what they are. Yeah. I I've got to tell you I I don't I don't care what he says I only care what he does. Yeah. And if you really wanted to protect us, those other countries that were on your list who never committed an atrocity against us never none of their immigrants have ever raised a hand against us personally, right? should not have been on that list but those four countries no matter what their fucking wealth is should have been on that list and i would have stood up and fucking cheered oh and, and for those listening who keep going but obama brought in something similar no he didn't they wrote he it did. but they never used it he <laughs> he did but i don't think it was widely publicized i mean let's not let's not I'm not. I'm not trying to he didn't demonize use, yeah, anybody he didn't, they wrote or this, deify anybody. What What Trump released was based on what Obama had what come Obama up with, the Obama wrote. administration. Yeah. But yet, the Obama administration didn't put out a full blanket one. Uh -huh. They banned specific groups from specific places. Basically, it was down to a handful of people they banned. Obama did not. 
populations of entire countries. Well, I mean, and the oh, did wording, you hear about the Norwegian the wording, ambassador? <laughs> no, the wording is very confusing yeah. in in that document, and I say this. In all sincerity, I have a friend who lives in Canada who got turned away at the border. This mm -hmm. guy is whiter than me. Yeah. And if I wear a skirt, you can see the veins and the arteries in my leg. That's how white I am, right? Yeah. And I, it has nothing to do with my racial background. It's just I don't see the fucking sun. I'm always working. Um, this guy is whiter than me. I mean, his, his last name is O'Flaherty. He's a <laughs> dual citizen. He lives in Canada now. And he needed to come home for medical treatment, and they turned him away at the border after the travel ban. Oh, Flaherty! He's, he's really? one of those rare Irish what the Muslims. Fuck? Yeah, yeah. He's he's one. He's an Irish Iris ISIS member. It all makes sense. But no, Norwegian Norwegian ex prime minister with a diplomatic passport got held up at an, for an hour at the airport, asked questions for twenty minutes because he'd visited Iran. In 2011, I think it was. You know, and, and just, it's a politic. He's got a diplomatic passport, <laughs> but they're like, no, no, we, you can't come straight in. We've got to ask you why are we in Iran. Um, I was the prime minister of Norway. Yeah, but why were you there? You know this kind of thing. You're like, oh, for Christ's sake. You know, honestly, part of it I is the idiocy of how it was written, mm -hmm. and part of it is well, we've talked about how good. TSA is. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, and, and some know, of them and, might actually be deliberately messing up to make it look bad. That has to be well, said. Well, I mean, maybe, but you, you don't really need to deliberately mess that up. Um, you've got you've got whole huge swaths of the country that are just different. I I'm neither for nor against Trump. Now I want to see what he's going to do. Um, but I've got to really tell you, need, they really need to hide that box let me from you, that gets carried around <laughs> everywhere. Let me let me put it to you this way: I think, in a lot of ways, this country really messed up. It messed up the year, and this is when I had my big political awakening. Yeah. Being at the RNC, the year that I watched them kill the Ron Paul nomination. And I watched this. I watched entire busloads of delegates get lost. I watched, you know, I can't even tell you the corruption I saw with my own two eyes. Yeah. And I, I cried for a solid week. That was when I knew what I believed about politics. Everything I believed about it was wrong. But I think Republicans, you really fucked up because you should have let him get the nomination whether he got in or not, because not letting him paved the way to Barack Obama, paved the way to Bernie Sanders getting that done to him as well, and it paved the way to Trump. These are fuck everything. Every reaction has an. Equal oh, I mean, both both reaction. your main parties just screwed up royally. Um. Oh yeah, they did. They did really bad things, and there's a term called blowback. Yeah. That people don't understand it, and it just means for every action there are consequences. And guess what? The, Trump is a direct result of what you did to Ron Paul. Okay, I'm done. That that's the only yeah, that, guy I would have that, voted that's for. That's as political as we really want to be going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's all I'm gonna say. All right. <laughs> 
Sorry. I had to have my little rant there. Color okay. charts, folks. Make it make it fun the best you can. Right. <laughs> Color charts. Um let's see. I think I'm gonna pick the crack license. This is a story from Canada. <clears throat> where my, my friend O'Flaherty pointed this out to me. Okay. <clears throat> Seriously, Edmonton police issue a $465 ticket for a crap driver's license. A Camrose man is ticked about his ticket. A $465 traffic violation issued by Edmonton police for having a crack driver's license. Dave Belay admits he's guilty of having a small crack in his license, but he doesn't think the penalty fits the crime. He was returning home from visiting a friend Wednesday evening when he was pulled over on Anthony Hedy Drive. I saw the police lights come on behind, so I thought I'd pull over to the side of the road to give them room to pass, Bully said, because I wasn't doing anything untoward. But then, the police, of course, pulled in behind me. One of the officers told Belay they'd had a tip about a swerving car that matched the description of his Honda Accord. Belay, 52, said he wasn't worried because he doesn't drink. He gave the officers his driver's license, registration, and insurance card. He came back, and the younger policeman said he was going to give me a ticket for my driver's license being mutilated, the police said. I said, mutilated? I didn't even know there was such a thing. And he gave me a ticket for $465. The mutilation referred to as a crack in the top left corner of Belay's license. Maybe not even quite an inch long, Belay added, adding the crack doesn't obstruct any pertinent information. Belay said he was expecting a fine of about $150. I think I outright laughed and said, seriously, 465 bucks for this crack? The officer said, it's a mutilated license. If I'd been belligerent or angry or had even been smelling like booze or anything like that, I could see them getting upset. But none of that was the case. Edmonton police released a statement Friday suggesting the officer actually gave Belay a break. According to the statement, the officer had grounds to lay a careless driving charge, which carries a fine of $543 and six demerit points. But because Belay was cooperative... The officer issued a lesser fine for a cracked driver's license. To put the fines in perspective, someone caught looking at their cell phone while driving could expect a distracted driver ticket for $287. I didn't do anything to the license. Blaze also confused about the term mutilated. I didn't do anything to the license myself, he said, other than carry it in my wallet in my back pocket. Had I scratched out the eyes or drawn a mustache on my face or scratched out the license number or something, then yeah, give me a ticket for that. That should be an offense. Belay vented his frustration in a humorous video he posted to Facebook. It has been shared more than 7,000 times and has more than 400,000 views. I think 99% positive reaction, Belay said, way more than I expected. In the video, Belay says he won't pay the fine, even if that means serving jail time or community service. I don't have $465. He said, I'm on unemployment insurance and I do some part-time substitute teaching. A supply teacher. It's a week's wage. Belay hopes to reason with the Crown Prosecutor and avoid going to court. Common sense would say, I would just go and get a new one and not get charged with anything, he said. I'll even pay for the cost of replacing the license myself. According to the police department statement, should the driver choose not to pay the fine, it will be up to the Crown and the courts to determine whether or not the charge was appropriate. Therefore, the EPS can't further comment on the incident. This is so unusual. In a text message to CBC News, Belay called the EPS statement absurd. This is so unusual, he wrote, for them to release a statement like that, saying they are basically doing me a favor by charging me for something that, according to the Traffic Safety Act, I didn't even violate. If we as a society allow them to do that, then we are basically giving them the go-ahead to charge us with whatever their little hearts desire. 
Section 61 of the Alberta Highway Traffic Act spells out the law David Belay was charged under. Um, no person, uh, do, okay, altered documents, Section 61. Uh, a person shall not mutilate, deface, alter, or falsify the document. So, I mean, it doesn't really spell out anything, any sort of penalty. But if you want to see what that driver's license looks like, I will stick the link in chat for you so you can look at that. I mean, it is quite a crack. It is something to see, but it still seems unusual to me. Um, it's unusual for Canada, certainly. Uh, yes. All Western countries have legislation like that in their rules. Mm -hmm. uh, the United States, the UK, yeah. all about, you know, it's a legal document. You're not supposed to sure. mess with it. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's far more... It's the first time I've heard of it being done in Canada, but I've heard stories mm -hmm. of drivers in most Western countries have had this happen sure. to them. Um, just not in Canada, exactly. Just not in Canada. Very, Canada's usually more relaxed. Um, it's very strange. It's very rare in the UK as well. Uh, yeah. The police have got far more to be going on with. Um, right. Huh, well... But yeah, I think I think the poor guy just suffered from a classic case of incredibly bored policemen. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe that's exactly what it is. It's it's hard it telling. Happens. It does happen. The police deny it all the time, but cases like this happen all the time and you're like instead of just giving the guy a warning and telling him to get it replaced, which <laughs> a nice policeman would do, I mean to end up charging the guy. When the guy yeah. wasn't doing anything else wrong. <laughs> it's like, I know. So, it's yeah, just, bored it, policeman. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. what I call it anyway. Well, I mean, I guess what else could you call it? I, I, I don't even know. So, unless he uh, is just, unless it just is an officious evil git policeman. That's the other well, alternative. There are plenty of them. We usually have them here, especially since they decided that uh, you don't have to have high IQ to be a police officer. Here. Thank you. Double Supreme digits Court. would be good, though. Thank you, Supreme Court. That was yeah. really nice of you. That's helpful. Um, okay. Do you want to pick one? Uh, let's see. What have we got? Oh, let's go for running rich people continue from last uh, week <laughs> yeah well i um these fuckers and i'm going to say i'm going to reiterate a statement i made when i posted this um these people act like they're running from the real world version of the hunger games sometimes running really far isn't far enough and i have a message for them it's something katniss actually said in the book, I've read both of them for other reasons, not for entertainment, but for other reasons, for other purposes. Um, she says, if we burn, you burn with us. That might be something that the people in Silicon Valley, the super rich and the bankers might want to keep in the back of their minds when they're doing this, the shit that they're doing. Yeah, Just... they've, got, they've got to keep in mind us poor peons No. All or well, not all peons, but the peons <laughs> in their life know all their dirty shit. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, this is uh, 
another surprising story about the super rich and their fucking bolt holes. Silicon Valley super rich head south to escape from a global apocalypse. At the Republican Party convention in Cleveland last July, Trump Joner Peter Thiel declared himself most of all proud to be an American. So it came as something of a surprise for New Zealanders to discover that the PayPal co-founder and Facebook board member had become an honorary Kiwi, joining a growing band of wealthy Americans seeking a haven from a possible global apocalypse. Thiel was recently revealed to have bought a 4.5 million lakeside property near the New Zealand town of Wanaka in 2015. When New Zealand Herald reporter Matt Nippert asked why Thiel had been allowed to buy land that appears fit to fit the classification of sensitive without permission from the country's overseas investment office, he was told it wasn't necessary. Thiel was already a citizen. The revelation was met with confusion. By the time of his appearance at the Republican convention, Thiel had already bought 193 hectares of pristine South Island land using his rights as a Kiwi. Politicians asked why a billionaire most famous for adamantly supporting Donald Trump and bankrolling the lawsuits that bankrupted Gawker Media had been allowed to not only buy land in New Zealand, but to make the country part of his future and identity. Winston Peters, leader of the New Zealand First Party, accused the national governments of selling citizenships to foreigners. Thiel, who remains who retains his American citizenship, in fact became a joint U.S. slash New Zealand citizen in 2011 and has described the country as utopia, investing heavily in business startups. And he's not alone in his admiration for the country. Recent reports in Bloomberg and The New Yorker suggest dozens, if not hundreds, of Silicon Valley futurists are secretly prepping for doomsday. These apocalypse-fearing survivalists are stocking up on canned goods investing in solid gold currency, keeping helicopters fueled up, purchasing apartments in nuclear bomb-proof bunkers, and if the shit-hits-the-fan scenario unfolds, many have an escape route already in mind, south, south, all the way to New Zealand. If you want to ride out the apocalypse, there's no better place. When the rest of the world is imploding, isolation, often thought to be New Zealand's greatest weakness, becomes its biggest strength. The island nation is too far away to invade, separated from its nearest neighbor by 28,000 kilometers width of the Tasman Sea. Its most serious predator is the possum. If it's a political revolution you fear, the climate is a far cry from the intractable antagonism of the U.S. One recent parliamentary debate featured Maori Party leader Mamara Fox singing a light-hearted politicized version of Santa Baby accompanied by her colleagues on the ukulele. Everyone stood up to applaud afterwards. Tech leaders seemed particularly smitten by New Zealand's reported immunity to Armageddon. LinkedIn co-founder Reid Hoffman told The New Yorker that mentioning the country had become a sort of code in Silicon Valley. Saying you're buying a house in New Zealand is kind of a wink-wink, say no more, he said. Speaking at the World Economic Forum in Davos, Robert Johnson, president of the Institute for New Economic Thinking, said he knew hedge fund managers all over the world who are buying airstrip farms in places like New Zealand because they think they need a getaway. One entrepreneur estimated 50% of his peers have bought property in New Zealand or elsewhere. Figures from 2016 showed that U.S. buyers were second only to Australians in the amount of New Zealand land they purchased. In the year two... June last year, in the year to June last year, 1,288 Americans gained residence in New Zealand, while another 11,873 were issued work or student visas. People want to get the hell out of where they are, and they feel New Zealand is safe, 
Auckland immigration agent David Cooper told Bloomberg, adding that the country is a good spot to be in when the world is going to hell in a handbasket. Graham Wall, whose firm Grand Wall Real Estate sold a mansion to Thiel in the tourist hub of Queenstown in 2011, says wealthy overseas buyers see New Zealand as an escape from a volatile world, though none of his clients has explicitly described their purchase as an apocalypse insurance they're attracted to the country's benign legislative environment lack of corruption and most of all its isolation usually when people are being honest about why they'll say the difference new zealand probably has over everywhere else on earth is that we can choose our own immigration he says if you're in new zealand then you've been invited in i think that's quite compelling thing for people when they feel a bit unsafe Wealthy U.S. buyers now account for roughly one in 12 of the properties while sells double the amount six months ago. Buyers are driven mainly by the ability to play golf or ride mountain bikes at the weekend. They're not like, man, the world's going to end, but it's just the political environment is uncertain, he says. Anxiety over the new U.S. president appears to have many Americans investigating a shift to New Zealand and not just Silicon Valley survivalists. In the 48 hours after Trump was elected, New Zealand's immigration website saw a 2,500% increase in traffic. Immigration New Zealand received 88,353 visits from the U.S., up from 2,300 visits a day. The investor-focused New Zealand Now website received 101,000 visits from the U.S. in the same two-day period, compared with its usual daily average of 1,500. Nearly 18,000 U.S. citizens ended up using the website to register an interest in studying, working, or investing in New Zealand in November 2016, up from 1,272 in November of 2015. Steve McGill, who heads the Immigration New Zealand team, charged with the tracking overseas investors, is hopeful Trump's election will prompt more nervous ultra-rich to make the journey south. There's obviously been a political event in the States that's seen at least our website <clears throat> taking a lot of interest, he said. He sees the uptick as a big opportunity. It's exciting for New Zealand. Under immigration, New Zealand's Investor Plus scheme, foreign buyers can gain permanent residency status, which confers the same power to buy property if they invest $10 million in the country over three years and live there for at least 44 days in two of those years. The department doesn't care whether migrants are just trying to doomsday-proof their lives, provided they meet its standards, McGill says. I guess one of the great and appealing <clears throat> things about New Zealand is our freedom of expression and our right to free speech. We don't have any criteria in our policy that says, don't let a survivalist in. If they believe the apocalypse is coming, that's fine. But they still need to achieve a certain set of criteria. Not everyone is so optimistic. In Lee's Galloway, immigration spokesman for the New Zealand's opposition Labour Party, says government rules should discourage non-resident foreigners from buying properties out of fear. I think this sort of insurance policy approach is problematic, he said. Galloway can understand people wanting to move to New Zealand, whether they're backlash-fearing Trump supporters or just worrying about some kind of societal breakdown. But he wants new rules limiting government ministers' ability to grant citizenship and thus the right to purchase sensitive land to influential investors like Thiel. That should be accompanied by a ban on non-resident foreign buyers buying up house, driving up house prices by purchasing existing properties, he says. The truth is there's a lot of instability around the world. New Zealand is perceived as very stable, very safe, very friendly country. So I can imagine that not just wealthy people, but all kinds of people will be looking at New Zealand and thinking, I'd like to live there. We need to be able to respond to that and say, we're going to do this on our terms. We're going to respond to the new reality on our terms. For Graham Wall, that political uncertainty is cause for celebration if it drives more investors to New Zealand and onto the books of his real estate firm. 
The wealthy are always welcome, whether they see your country as paradise or a glorified doomsday bunker, he says. Even if they're fleeing the horsemen of the apocalypse, at least they're carrying cash on hand. It's all part of a trend. They used to buy villas in the south of France. Now they want a beautiful piece of New Zealand. Long may it last. Yeah, Go well, ahead. I mean, we, we mostly covered this last week. So yeah, they're f these rich people are really dumb. Really, really oh. dumb. And unless they have private 747s, uh, their little private jets ain't going to get them all the way to New Zealand in one go. Uh, for a start. <laughs> um, well, second, if the shit really to... hits the fan, do you really think New Zealand is not going to be extra yeah, careful? But, sure, but I mean, from, just from where I live, you have like a halfway point for hop in Hawaii. Yeah. That's, that's half fucking way yep. you go you fly out to the last island of hawaii and your plane gets I, fueled up i really don't think a lot of these people around. realize just how far away new zealand is from everything <laughs> they don't and because it's quite a trip even from australia which is either yeah, country to it that's what i'm saying <laughs> you're halfway if your halfway point is hawaii whoa you know what i mean that's oh that's and then if the shit, shit really hits the fan You'll turn up and just possibly get thrown in a volcano by the Mary. The joke. <laughs> they don't do that. Uh, well, that we know of. That we know of, yeah. We haven't heard about that in a few years. We don't really know. We don't know what they but, do. But they do venerate volcanoes, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Also, you're a millionaire. You show up and they go, oh, it's very liberal there. Yes, yeah, so you try to get planning permission for a house. I bet they're not going to like it. <laughs> Let, let me put it to They have lots way. of stuff protecting land, and you're not allowed to have eyesores destroying yeah. the landscape and all that. When they filmed Lord of the Rings, yep. one of the huge costs was. Hang on. <clears throat> they had to build roads to get all the filming equipment in yep. and everything. When filming was over. They had to erase that. Didn't they, they had to, yeah, put it back the way it was before they did it. Mm hmm. That's New Zealand, and these rich people are moving in. Oh, it's lovely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The reason it's lovely, <laughs> you assholes haven't screwed it up. Well, let me put it to you this way. New Zealand, it, I wanted to move to New Zealand when I was a teenager. You know, not even teenager, but older, older, older. Um, and it was because I'd seen a lot of movies and a lot of TV shows filmed there, and there was not a lot of stuff. There's no. sheep and grass. And I and figured volcanoes. if I was going to be yeah, right, <laughs> and I figured if I was going to be a hermit, best place in the world to go. And now these rich fuckers are screwing it up. So I guess that's well, no, no, not no. The cards they're not screwing it up. <laughs> New Zealander, in in some ways, New Zealander being pretty good here. They're they're getting all these money off these millionaires, and they say uh, these millionaires will turn up and I'll, I'll build this huge house. And New Zealand government are going to go. No, you no, won't. Mm -mm, can't do that. But I just bought this land. Yeah, but you're not allowed to do anything you want with it. Because, yeah, very protectionist in New Zealand over their environment. It's one of the greenest countries on the planet. <laughs> I don't enjoy, think any of these millionaires have thought of that one either. Enjoy your yurt. Yeah. Maybe. Oh, no, they will That's allow it. them to buy houses, but they won't be able to build these build yeah. monstrous... Yeah, megastructures. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No. That's why I said enjoy your yurt. And if you've seen like the, the earth friendly yurts that people make, they get um bales of straw and they get 
mud and they basically build a round house. And they're very nice. They're, they have excellent climate quality. Um, most people who build them don't really have to use heating or anything. And it's very traditional, very close to the earth. Just very, it's a very nice place to be. Yep. It's a pain in the ass to make one. And if New Zealand's really into this protectionism of the land, that would be a way for them to go. Yeah. Oh, and just, and just to point out, out loads mm -hmm. of the white folks that are in New Zealand, Scottish ancestry. <laughs> yeah. Don't go there and try and throw your way around. It will not go well. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, Scotland, I'm... notorious for being, you know, lovely and friendly till you piss us off. <laughs> I've got to tell you, I, I'm so sick of this stuff. Do, yeah. do you know what I mean? It, it, it's just, it's ridiculous. You cause this shit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everything that's gone wrong, you know, economically. I, I don't want to say all the rich people caused it, but they certainly didn't Ooh, protest people like any Teal of the things. definitely caused it. <laughs> well, right, but I'm saying they certainly didn't protest any legislation that was making their lives better while screwing over the poor, yeah. did they? Nope. So there's that. Okay. Uh, I think I want to talk about pacemakers. Okay. 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 Cops use pacemaker data to charge homeowner with arson insurance fraud. So, you know, we were saying before last week, beware the internet of things. It gets better. <laughs> Police call pacemaker data an excellent investigative tool that provided key pieces of evidence to charge a man with arson and insurance fraud. If you are dependent upon an enabled embedded medical device, should the device that helps keep you alive be allowed to incriminate you in a crime? After all, the Fifth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution protects a person from being forced to incriminate themselves. Nonetheless, that's what happened after a house fire in Middletown, Ohio. WCPO Cincinnati caught video of the actual fire as well as delivered news that the owner's cat died in the fire. Pet owner, it would be hard to believe that a person set a fire and leave their pet to die in that fire. Fire in question occurred back in December, September 2016. The fire department was just starting an investigation to determine the cause of the blaze. A month later, 59-year-old homeowner Ross Crompton, Compton was arrested and charged with felony aggravated arson and insurance fraud. Because of the fire was still undetermined, but it resulted in $400,000 in damages to the house and the contents of the 2,000 square foot home. Fire investigators knew there had been multiple ports of origin in the fire from the outside of the residence. At the time, the police cited inconsistencies in Compton's statements when compared with the evidence from the fire. Okay, so, so far, basically, they have found nothing really, just some inconsistencies. There were additional conflicting statements given to the 911 operator. Compton had said to get everyone out of the house, yet the 911 operator also heard him tell someone to get out of here now. In the 911 call published by WLWT5, an out-of-breath Compton claimed his he had grabbed a bunch of stuff and threw it out the window. He claims to have packed his suitcases, broken glass out of the bedroom window with his walking stick, and tossed the suitcases outside. Compton also told the dispatcher he had an artificial heart. After this, things get really interesting because the police investigators used data from Compton's electric heart device against him. And that self-incrimination 
can a person plead the fifth when it comes to self-incriminating data collected from their medical device? Police set out to disprove Compton's story about the fire by obtaining a search warrant to collect data from Compton's pacemaker. WLWT5 reported that the cops wanted to know Compton's heart rate, pacemaker demand, and cardiac rhythms before, during, and after the fire. On January 27th, the Journal News reported that the court document stated a cardiologist who reviewed the data determined it is rightly improbable Mr. Compton would be able to collect, pack, and remove the number of items from the house, exit his bedroom window, and carry numerous large and heavy items to the front of his residence during the short period of time he is indicated due to his medical conditions. Middletown Police said this was the first time it used data from a heart device to make an arrest, but the pacemaker data proved to be an excellent investigative tool. The data from the pacemaker didn't correspond with Compton's version of what happened. The retrieve data helped to indict Compton. As Jimmy Cunningham told WLWT5, it was one of the key pieces of evidence that allowed us to charge him. It's worth noting that gasoline was also found on various pieces of Compton's clothing. Police have indicted him without using the data from his pacemaker against him. Well, yeah, because he sounds like an idiot. But it was still the idea that you had something implanted and the data can be used against you. It's kind of scary. Well, yeah, that, that and the fact that any decent defense lawyer is going to get their own cardiologist and there's going to be you know, the conflicting expert testimony. Mm -hmm. uh, and yeah. also human nature. There are cases where even really ill people manage amazing feats when, when they're hyped up on adrenaline. Now, if they'd also managed to drug test him and show that his... He didn't have high levels of adrenaline in his system, which anyone would in such circumstances, right. unless mm -hmm. it was planned, because yeah. then they'd be calm, uh, then, <laughs> shit, uh, yeah, the case is going to be interesting, but let's put it that way. Um, yeah. yeah I mean, I, I, one I, thing some pacemakers do is mm -hmm. regulate your heart rate so that it keeps it under control. Yeah. So, yeah, as I say, they're going to have to get this cardiologist's report or whoever the prosecution gets in. Right. Probably the pacemaker manufacturer. Mm -hmm. uh, the cardiologist for the defense. Oh, it's yep. going to be it's going to be a mountain be of a shit. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a freaking mess. Just but... to deal with one house going on fire. Uh, yeah. Surely, yeah, again, shouldn't it just be down to the insurance company to be looking at this and wait for the fire department to fully finish their investigation? Well, you That's know, their thing. Yeah. They've, they've done this without apparently yeah. the full report on the incident. They've arrested this I mean, guy. I mean, it's like, it's, uh, it's that's going to go against the prosecution as well. I mean, this shit is just crazy. Yeah. And, you know, I read this and I was thinking to myself, you know, not that I think it could happen, but, you know, people like Ginny who have spinal cord stimulators and stuff, you know what I mean? Imagine them be able, being able to take the data from that. And then indict you of something. And what if you didn't do it? You know, it, it's just, it's a nightmare. And it's funny how the Internet of Things and all this interconnectedness has made it possible for this to happen. And it's sort of cut back on the traditional investigative ways that you would investigate crime. 
um, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like it's become a better world. I, I, in some ways, I just hope, as I say, when the investigation by the fire people is completely finished, I, I just, in some ways, I really hope the police end up with huge egg on their face because the fire brigade <laughs> go, no, this caused it. <laughs> I mean, it can't have been him. It, it was this, you know. Yeah. I mean, that would be perfect, but I don't. I just find it. It may well have been an insurance job, but the way the police are going about it is, it it's criminal. Let alone guy yeah. burning down his own house. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I noticed they I, tried in the story. They tried to get the you know the the heartstrings pull in there. <gasps> he left his pet in the house. Yeah. You don't know if the pet was sick or already dead. Yeah. You, you don't know. I don't know. I just, I like I said, I find it disquieting that this is a thing. Yeah. You know, it, it makes me very uncomfortable. Um, and I see Boston Dynamics released another video today. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Jesus. You know, it, it just, I find it troubling. I, I watched this thing rolling around and, you know, the headline is Nightmare Inducing Boston Dynamics um, Robot, right? And, and a quote occurred to me that, uh, and it's from like a futurist, a futurist technologist who wrote it in 1991, Michael something. And he said, humans are the sex organs of the machine. Hmm. And seeing that just gave me the heebie-jeebies. I'm like, I, yeah, no. <laughs> just, just calm <laughs> no, down, relax, watch some TV. Uh, Westworld? Uh. <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> Oh, I just, I think it's hilarious. Just the stuff that goes on. Um, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm less worried by robots than you are. I find a lot of it quite amusing. But then I know how to build really, really big, efficient electromagnets. Well, <laughs> and then... Even if it's a really well-shielded robot, a really big magnet <laughs> will still screw it up. <laughs> Which is a good thing. Yes. Yeah. That's a good thing. Um, let's see, do you want to pick one? This is uh, this is just going back and forth tonight. Pick one, pick one. It's it's very strange. I'll keep it simple then. Let's go Amish. I figured I, I kind of wanted to do that one, but I'm like, I don't know. Since we went from hyper technology, yeah, we'll go the other way. Yeah. We'll go. We'll talk about the Amish. WKYT investigation. Amish farmer in jail awaiting trial facing time in federal prison. Bath County, Kentucky. Since October 2015, Amish farmer Samuel Garrod has been facing a 12-count federal indictment. The charges against him include conspiracy, distributing misbranded drugs, and threatening a witness. Garrod's troubles started back in 2013 when someone reported his products to the state health department in Missouri. A federal judge in Missouri put an injunction in place banning Gerard from making some of his products until he met certain conditions. Part of those conditions were inspections of the property where Gerard made his products, which is where Kentucky comes into play. Gerard makes his products on the family farm along Satterfield Lane in Bath County. The farm is home to Gerard, his wife, along with their 12 children and 25 grandchildren. God. Due to their Amish religious beliefs, no one in Gerard's family was able to talk with WKYT on camera. However, they told us they just want to see the leader of their family freed. 
I think everybody in the community has heard about it, said Bath County resident Susan Moody. Many of Bath County are confused as to why one of their own sits in jail. I can't even figure out what he's done wrong, said Moody. We live at the foot of the cross, and the thought of one of them intentionally doing something wrong is outrageous. They're just devastated. I mean, when they bought him out in handcuffs, it was awful, said family friend Sally O. One product at the center of the lengthy indictment is Gerard's Chickweed Salve. Its ingredients include rosemary, beeswax, and olive oil, explained O. Throughout the accusations, the FDA, my buddies, often took up an issue with the labeling of the product. It said chickweed salve up on the top and then down it said cures cancer, which for some people it did, but he can't say that. So he changed it to say healing chickweed, but they said, no, you can't say healing. So now it just says original chickweed, explained O. Moody said, I mean, do you go to jail because you've messed up on a label on a product? I thought you went to jail because you did something bad. I mean, he mislabeled something. I doubt he knew any better. The FDA said Gerard also passed out pamphlets touting his product's effectiveness in treating various conditions. It's because of those claims that under the Federal Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act, the FDA says the products are defined as drugs, even though multiple tests confirm the products do not contain drugs. Uh, the FDA requires anyone who manufactures a design, uh, defined drug to register with their facility. The Gerard Farm is not registered. Tim has made this product for over 20 years and he's never hurt anyone, said O. However, the indictment says this is much more than a labeling mistake. The allegations claim the product known as Tumargon, which is said to be very good at removing tumors, used a bloodroot plant extract that has a corrosive effect on human skin. Prosecutors pointed out that back in 2013, a federal judge in Missouri banned Gerard from distributing these products until he met certain conditions. Those conditions include allowing the FDA to inspect where Gerard made the goods. According to the indictment, the FDA says their officers were prevented from conducting an inspection at the farm. They also say Gerard continued to sell the products without letting customers know they were the subject of a court-ordered <coughs> injunction. Excuse me. <clears throat> I feel like jail is for criminals. <clears throat> he might have done something wrong by the word of the law, but he is far cry from a criminal, said Moody. Since the 2015 indictment, Gerard, who has fired his appointed attorney <coughs> and is now representing himself, has been trying hard to clear his name. The Amish farmer filed a motion to dismiss his case, citing a lack of due process, lack of standing, and a lack of jurisdiction. I just denied the motion and set status conference back in August. Sam is a very literal person. This hearing didn't say, hey, Sam, you've got to be there. It just said there's a status hearing in your case, and he thought he didn't have to show up. It was a mistake on his part, but because he is not an attorney, he just doesn't understand, explained O. A warrant was then issued for Gerard's arrest. The Bath County Sheriff wrote a letter to those involved saying he's concerned about the ongoing ruthlessness and relentlessness atta relentless attack against one of his constituents. The letter went on to say Gerard was in protective custody of his office. Gerard was considered a fugitive for about five months before being arrested at his farm in early January. He is now in jail without bond, awaiting his trial scheduled for late February. It's like a freight train out of control. There's no stopping it, said O. She says she believes the bottom line in all of this is they're targeting the Amish because they don't threaten. They don't fight back and they don't like lawyers. The U.S. Attorney's Office is saying that is far from the truth and their primary and sole concern is protecting potential consumers. The office released the following statement. 
In cases like this, our interests are ensuring that drugs are made available to the public, are safe for consumption, and ensuring the integrity of the judicial process. He's Amish. He's Amish. They don't even live in the same planetary spectrum as the rest of us, right? Yeah, the bright side of the story, the bright side, they've stuck him in jail. And he'll hate it for whole different reasons from the way everybody else does. Because, yeah, that, for most Amish, ain't that like mm-hmm. holiday camp? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, oh, you you have to get up at a certain time, you have to eat at a certain time, you have to go to bed at yep. a certain time, you have to exercise at this time. And he'll yep. be sitting there going, well, where's all the hard labour? <laughs> 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 He's Amish. You know, jail. Yeah. Jail is not gonna. Yeah. He's gonna. He's gonna get real antsy in jail because he won't yeah. have enough to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. Know, he'll get stick from lots of the other prisoners, but yeah, lots of other prisoners will then discover how fit and healthy somebody is when they work on a farm all their life. <laughs> yep. I mean, but this is. This but is yeah, really it's good. the insanity of the FDA. Again. Well, yeah, well, I mean, the FDA is <sighs> terrible. Um, well, it's the fact that they, um, right, when when you're, when you're served papers in the UK, yeah. you basically get huge amounts of explanatory documentation with it, usually, right. as far as I'm aware. Uh-huh. Um, I believe they don't bother so much in a lot of cases over your way. It's up to the lawyer to already know all the relevant stuff. But in the UK, in case you want to defend yourself, they give you, you know, this is exactly what you need to do. Um, But apparently they didn't do that to this guy. As I say, he had a a hearing and he didn't know he had to turn up at it. He yeah. thought it was, well, you know, I mean, optional. Um, well, this, this should have know. been explained in the letter telling him about it. But obviously I mean, it didn't. <laughs> no, and it's like I said, the Amish, they occupy a completely different world from the rest. Yeah. I, 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 can't, I can't wrap my head around it. I literally can't. But you know, it's, it's good that it's good small community stuff because you know the sheriff's trying to stick up for him as well. It's like the guy's harmless. What are you doing? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's really pathetic. You know, this is the kind of shit that makes people despise the government. Yeah, it's it, the it reason is. why the Amish are the way they are as well. Yeah. <laughs> so we you want know, nothing it, to do with the rest of you guys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and can you? Freaking blame them. Just leave them in their horts and their horses and carts to 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 make their herbal remedies and. Just, okay, I mean, I don't you know, agree with a lot of the stuff that Amish get up to, but they are on the scale of harm. They're they're they're, they're way way at the bottom. They're very peaceful. I mean, and honestly, if you want to talk about rabble rousers, right? And I don't think the Amish are like that. But I think you want to talk about rebel rousers, you would have to look at the Quakers. Yeah. They are <laughs> they are they have been anti government for a very long, 
long time. Although a, a lot of Quakers are assholes. Um. <laughs> well, I, I didn't. Well, they're they're insular people that live in these tiny little communities where they're only kind of exposed to their their own way of thinking. They do do really good porridge, though. I mean, that has to be said. They they make some really delicious oatmeal. Food. They're brilliant oatmeal. Yeah. You know, um, but I just I don't get it. It's it's we don't as a society, right? At least in America, we preach multiculturalism. We talk about uh, being inclusive to everyone and not violating the rights of people and their religions and stuff. And yet, this well, happens. Yeah, I and mean, yeah, it's if, the if, usual. If, if it There's were, a huge difference between what you say and what you do. You do. Yeah, but what I'm saying is this. If it had been someone else from a different type of community, this would not be happening. And this should be a political hot potato, but it's not. Yeah, if it was a middle-class housewife in California, uh, yeah. well, one, she'd had a really expensive lawyer within seconds, uh, and two, she'd, anyway, she'd have probably just got a warning. Yeah. Okay, he it's, did get a warning, and he ignored it. But <laughs> the that's because they didn't explain the warning properly. <laughs> yeah, but... It's like, like they said, didn't they... think, right, we need to get a translator in. Why? Because this guy thinks in 17th century. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they do. They occupy a completely different world. They don't have mirrors. They don't, you know, it's a very different world. Yeah. And, like, the Quaker community is a very different world. And they're farmers. And, oh, my God, do they hate the government. Oh, my God, you can't they, even imagine. They hate everyone. They hate everyone. It's not that they hate everyone. They just... We're all heathens. Kind of. They're all... They're all really different. I'll put it to you that way. Parquet, I I have reservations about uh, Rand Paul myself. Um, I'll just leave it at that. Anyone Uh, who wants to be in charge, worry. (laughs) That's the basic rule. That really, that really should be the basic role. It, it's well, not. It is. It, <laughs> it should be. And political analysts have said that for centuries. <laughs> well, I mean, it's because of the corruption factor. Yeah. I mean, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely right. So anybody who wants to run the nut house should obviously be suspect. <laughs> That's basically it. That's basically all that it should be. It's just weird. Um, right. So here's the serious story. <laughs> not that, you know, the FDA and the Amish, not that that wasn't a serious story, but this is a different kind of story. Police could get your location data without a warrant. It has to end. We talked about the Fifth Amendment right not to incriminate yourself. This is kind of an important one. This is kind of a big one. And it doesn't matter how I identify politically, um, because I don't, but I am a geek. And geeks are hugely concerned with privacy rights. So there we go. The more we rely on technology, the more detailed a technological footprint we leave behind. A recent study from Delight shows that on average, American millennials check their phones roughly 82 times per day. This dependence on technology has led to a world where most people are never more than a few 
feet away from their cell phone at any given time. Being constantly connected to the world is one of the many benefits of our advanced society, but unfortunately, privacy regulations haven't kept pace with the advances we've made. Your cell phone records, every location you visit if the phone's location services are turned on, which is more often than not, um, it's called cell site location information. This data is tracked on both Android services and iPhones. The information can be quite telling. It might show the location of your home, your office, and other places you often visit. Problem is, it can teach police about a person's behavior, and then it can be used against them. In some states, the data can be used without a warrant. Across the country, police are using this data to track and catch suspects, and the resulting cases are often challenged in court. Since it's collected by cellular service providers, the data falls under what's known as third-party doctrine, which states that by giving information to a third party, banks, internet service providers, email servers, or in this case, phone company users, have no reasonable expectation to privacy. Still, suspects in these type of cases often claim that by accessing their cell phone data without probable cause or warrant, law enforcement is violating their Fourth Amendment right against unreasonable search and seizure. In some instances, courts have agreed with these arguments, resulting in a patchwork of guidance governing how the data can be used. For instance, in Commonwealth v. Augustine, Massachusetts' highest court ruled that government's acquisition of this data should require a warrant. Meanwhile, four courts of appeals have opined on the issue and only one, fourth court of appeals, deemed it necessary for the government to obtain a warrant first. These divergent rulings mean that a person could travel to four different states and have widely varying levels of privacy protection for the information collected in each places. In some instances, location-specific data can be fully protected, and others not at all. In one state, law enforcement may only be able to access historical data, and in another, they may be able to track a person in real time. Six states, California, Utah, Montana, Minnesota, New Hampshire, and Maine, currently require a warrant for all cell site location information. Illinois, New Jersey, and Indiana require warrants for real-time tracking only. 33 states have no binding authority or explicitly allow for law enforcement to access this data without a warrant. That is more than half of U.S. states that offer no protection for extremely personal information. Just this hodgepodge of regulation, or lack thereof, police often claim authority to access this information without a warrant. The absence absence of consistent protections for citizens opens up the opportunity for rampant abuse by law enforcement. Lisa Marie Roberts of Portland, Oregon, was wrongfully imprisoned for nearly 10 years because of how law enforcement used this data. Her cell phone registered a site near the scene of her murder, and because her attorney wasn't able to analyze the data or hire an expert, he advised Roberts to plead guilty to receive a reduced sentence. In 2014, a federal judge granted her release after DNA evidence led to another suspect. In Minnesota, Sarah Jean Mann sought a restraining order against her boyfriend, a state narcotics agent who she claimed abused his access to cell site data information to stalk her. She has granted the order and the man is no longer a police officer. Cell phones aren't the only devices that can be used for surveillance. Last year, police in Bentonville, Arkansas, investigating a murder case, asked Amazon to provide the audio of the suspect's Echo smart speaker. Amazon refused to provide the information and the case is still ongoing. In 2014, law enforcement in New York obtained a warrant obligating Cirrus XM to provide location data obtained from a satellite radio installed in a customer's car. 
Congress has yet to regulate this area, and the Supreme Court hasn't weighed in, but legislatures across the country are taking up the issue and pushing for broader protections for civilians. Both the Texas and New Mexico legislators are expected to take up the issue this year. In New Mexico, lawmakers will consider Senate Bill 61, the Electronic Communications Privacy Act, which would require government officials to have a warrant or wiretap in order to obtain cell site information. Since this policy area currently resembles the Wild West, cell phone companies are taking advantage of lax regulations as well. Many are offering a range of surveillance techniques to law enforcement for fee, including text and call tracing and cell phone location services. Judges in an Indiana case last summer wrote, in current digital age, courts have continued to accord Fourth Amendment protection to information entrusted to communications intermediaries, but intended to remain private and free from introspection. Um, from inspection. Regardless of how far technological advancements go, American civil rights should always be protected. As long as the issue remains ignored by the federal government or dueled out in courtrooms, state legislators should continue to strengthen privacy protections by making this data only accessible to law enforcement with a warrant or if they can show it is relevant to an investigation. Which is pretty basic. It really yeah. should just be relevant to an investigation, but the fact that anyone can abuse it is terrifying, especially yeah. if you are in a relationship with a domestic abuser who happens to be a member of law enforcement. That should terrify the shit out of people. Yeah. Oh, you, you don't um, know who's looking at your data. Go ahead. A, a, a couple of things here. Jeez, uh, how come I've always got stuff? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why I'm, I know so many things, but right... Yeah, it goes on about having the location services on your phone turned on. Uh, turning it off ain't going to help. They can yeah. still track you um, to within, say, 100 metres of a location, just without it being on, just by what cell towers your phone can detect at any time. Location services just makes it more accurate. <laughs> Yeah. Other I mean, thing, in no way would I be telling people that there are apps out there and settings on jailbroken rooted phones for <laughs> spoofing locations or creating false locations, in other words. In no yeah. way would I mention this to anybody. Uh, yes. Can, and can, I, can, I, can I not mention something as well? Uh -huh. If you're going to theoretically get an app like that, can I recommend you not get it from, you know, the app store or from Amazon? Because each of those comes with its own sort of traceable location yeah, information. Mean, just, place, just as yeah, an I aside. Mean, in no way would we know about places like XDA forums and places like that no. where you can get no. software that isn't on the Play Store. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no. No. We're not recommending that you do anything like that at all. In no at way all. would... For instance, my particular phone, in no way would it have software on it that tells it when there's a stingray near it or yeah. uh, uh, a dodgy Wi-Fi network or anything like that. I wouldn't put stuff like that on my phone, no. There are plenty of really neat apps. Um, and, yeah. you know, uh, one of the ones I really like is is called um, Cell 411. Yeah. Um, the reason I like Cell 411 is this. If you are approaching something that is dangerous, instead of having to call the cops, you could say, call your, 
let your friend know, live stream a video if you're being arrested and you suspect your rights will be violated. And this video will keep streaming and it will be uploaded. There's nothing anybody can do to shut that video off short of taking and smashing your phone. So that there will always be a record of, of something maybe being done to you. Um, cell 411 is very good for stuff like that. It's also, they have a panic button now you can buy. It's pretty cheap. It's about $40. Yeah. And it would be a great service instead of getting all the elderly people you know say that uh, that help button I can't get up. It would be a huge help if people would download that on that on their phone and then get the panic button for their grandma or their mother or or whoever in case they fall because then there's not an ambulance bill you know and you know you've got to look out for for your elderly people or, or whatever and a panic button is also something you can easily just click when you're walking somewhere at night it, it, it's it covers a whole host of problems without involving traditional law enforcement that you maybe don't want to involve for one reason or another. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, on this uh, privacy thing, you, you yes. must be delighted. Uh, instead of having two apps to do certain things, it's now one app. Red phone and the text equivalent is now one app, Signal. Very handy. I, I love Signal. I yeah. love, and I will tell you why I fucking love Signal. Signal, if you send a text to another Signal user, it's like it never happened. There's no charge for that shit. It just disappears. And, oh, hey, LavaBit is back. Yeah. LavaBit is back, y'all. Do you know how big a deal that is? I mean, that's huge. That is huge. Um, Actually, if I grab the video, do you will you play the LavaBit yeah. video? The person okay. to see how, yeah, how... I mean, it's still undergoing final testing at the minute, so, yeah. Hopefully yeah, we'll be able to get it, it up and running. <laughs> yeah. Um, Police will not like that in over your way. No. FBI, NSA, oh, they're really going to not like him. No. They already don't not. like him. But no, hey, they, they... hey, Trump's good for that guy, because, yeah, <laughs> he's distracting the security services from guys like him. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this this is from Coded, which is uh, an original series from something called Freethink. Yeah. Okay. Here we if go. If you got it. Yes. Okay. Just waiting for the page to load up properly. I remember standing in front of the Dallas branch okay, of the FBI, thinking when I turned over the key, they might want to arrest me because I had already shut down the system. They felt they had the right to demand the private key for my business so they could decrypt everyone's communications and isolate those belonging to their target. His name is Edward Snowden, the leaker of classified NSA documents that spell out a secret surveillance program. You don't fully understand the importance of privacy until you've lost it. LavaBit is an encrypted communications company that I started specifically in reaction to the announcement by Google that they were launching their Gmail service. 
I believe privacy is an inalienable right. When you're being watched, your behavior changes. You start doing things differently. You start saying things differently. Privacy is critical to the functioning of a free and fair democracy. I was concerned that Google was going to be scanning people's messages and using that information to profile them. So I thought, heck, why don't I create a type of email service that I would use myself, the type of service that a geek would love. And that's kind of how it all started. When you look at the geek ethos, we value things like privacy and security and trust. After I launched the service, headlines started coming out regarding national security letters that allowed the FBI to collect information from service providers without being adjudicated or reviewed by a judge. And I was very concerned with that particular mechanism because I felt it was unconstitutional. As a service provider, I was very concerned that I would receive one of these letters someday and I'd be put in this difficult position of having to choose between defending the Constitution or going to jail. And of course, knowing myself, I knew I would pick jail every time. I had a knock on my door by a couple of FBI agents. There was a user of my system that they were particularly keen on surveilling. The US government wanted to access Edward Snowden's email. The man who leaked national security agency secrets, he had a love of bit account. Now, the site's owner, Lauder Levis, had vowed to continue fighting rather than comply with the U.S. government. I wasn't comfortable with that request. I decided to shut down the service and turn over the key. I mean, I was doing everything I had worked so hard to prevent from happening. And I just couldn't believe that you know, it took 10 years to build that business into a success, and I destroyed it in one night. But I mean, think about the alternative. The alternative was to become complicit in crimes against the American people. To me, that was the worst of the two choices. After I suspend my email service, I find myself with a lot of free time on my hands. And it just sort of hit me. We know how to solve this problem. Why don't we go ahead and do it? The system I designed for LavaBit had the deficiency of not protecting the message before it arrived and not protecting it after it left the server. I'm restarting the LavaBit email service with the same type of encryption that I was doing on my servers before, but could now be done on the user's device itself. It makes mass surveillance obsolete because it would be impossible to intercept or steal everybody's key from every device. The simple fact is, that I took on the LavaBit project because I realized that I was one of only a handful of people on the planet who had the necessary skills. I felt like I had an obligation to use that knowledge to solve what I felt was an incredibly important problem. We now have three and a half billion people with email addresses. I think we're still going to have a fundamental problem with security on the internet unless we add encryption to email. There's a very good chance there's some piece of information out there 
that you don't want someone to know. And if an authority ever came into power that possessed that information, stripped you of control over it, they could bend you to their will merely by threatening to expose that piece of information. And if those are the people at the wheel, well, let me ask you this. When was the last time you didn't trust yourself? Makes sense really um, to keep your stuff as safe as possible. And I do love Signal. I yes. do love Bob a bit. I, there's certain things I do in Google. Um, I lay out the show notes in Google. And the reason I lay out the show notes in Google is because I can save years worth of them. Yeah, all, all um, I can say about my uh, history with Google. Uh, if they ever did seize my, get hold of my Google data, they'd be incredibly bored. Uh, like my email account, right? Specifically, if we stick to the email, if they right. just look at my email, every eSig story in the world <laughs> is what goes through my Google mine, mail, and very little I have, else. <laughs> I have a ton of search spiders all over the internet. And yeah. they're sweeping up every story on tobacco legislation I can find. Yeah. It's um, easy to do. So, yeah. It's very easy to do. So, that's where all of that ends up in my Google Mail account. Yeah. That, and honestly, I've been thinking I should send search spiders around for privacy stories because I know there's stuff we're missing like every week. And that's such a huge part of what we talk about your privacy and, and how to protect it. I have, well, to give people an example example today okay. was actually a quiet day i only have 21 emails on my google <laughs> and they say it's all e-cig stories yeah I, mine is not quite that interesting but like i said mine is is tobacco legislation because that's what they lump us in with i knew they were going to do that from the beginning i'm not stupid i know how the antis think I've looked at the stuff they've done for years. I mean, this is just what they do. So I started following this stuff back before a lot of other people did. I don't think people got the implication, right? No. That it looks like smoking. So they're going to regulate you like you smoke. Um, whether, <clears throat> whether you believe smoking causes harm or not. And I think... We, we can talk about harm. It does cause harm, but I, I think the numbers are incredibly exaggerated. Um, I really do believe that, that the numbers are incredibly exaggerated. So it, it, it's, it's just a very ugly thing that they've done with people that use tobacco, people who smoke, people who use snooze, and, and they're just, they're making you sort of public enemy number one you're okay to hate yeah <laughs> you know what i mean it, it really is an ugly thing well uh, what gets me is even now <laughs> there, there are groups of people out there who this is affecting them and 
they're still they're still trying to find logic and oh the science and, and you're no. like that's not what it's about no i mean <laughs> logic does called... not is not in these people's brains <laughs> um it's not it's 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 called tobacco control for a reason it is about at its heart at its core control yeah you know I, that's basically it um controlling human behavior i mean it's you just need to look at um the australia ruling this week mm -hmm. uh, oh that I was ridiculous detail. but yeah the reactions from the different experts so the yeah. ones who believe in logic the procedure of science and all that mm -hmm. were horrified they but then on the other scale you have the guy who has a big voice in australia um chapstick <laughs> going with my amazing or simple simon as mr puddlecoat refers him and many Crapman. people refer him to yeah Crapman, um, or, was know. of course raving about this wonderful decision because yeah he's not a scientist logic no, has nothing then, to do with why he hates it isn't he a sociologist yes yes that's okay. what he's trained in well and right not but, even I mean, from a good good university from, well, you know, I mean, but you've you've also got um, you've also got Stan the mechanic. You got a mechanical yeah. engineer. I, I oh yeah, logic's got bugger all to do with what he does. Um. <laughs> so it Nick Nick Nick's big funding check is the only reason the yeah. the Badger Blump does anything. Uh, well, I mean, and it's funny too because there's actually if you go online, you you search, you know. <clears throat> our American friend from California, you'll find various statements he's made about the reason that tobacco control is so easy, unlike food control, unlike alcohol control, is because tobacco has a smell, right? Yeah. Um, and you are able to convince people of that. The second part of that statement, which should be very telling to people, and it's not like I have photographic memory and as I get older I have a harder time remembering stuff. But this I remember it stuck with me. It like stuck in my core. He said, besides being able to get people out of restaurants and stop them from blowing smoke in my face, because I'm sure that people in California are that rude that they just, you know, walked up to him and blew smoke in his face. <laughs> he said, It's paid off my house. Tobacco control has enriched me and paid off my house. Um, if that isn't a telling reason for someone to keep beating a dead horse, I don't know what is. Yeah. So, and yeah, I'm sorry. The fact that they've made nicotine illegal. Well, they haven't. They've, they haven't made it illegal. It already was. They've just continued to have it illegal. Continued to con you know continue to allow it to yeah, progress along the black the, the market aforementioned, lines. We talked about Australia being one of the worst nannying mm -hmm. countries in the world. Yep. Yeah, folks, just to remind you, if you <laughs> have nicotine that isn't from tobacco in Australia, it's classed the same as heroin, cocaine, yeah. methamphetamine. You'll get the same yep. prison sentence and fines yes. if you're yes. caught messing about yep. with that shit. You are breaking the law. Yep. and it's it's horrifying yes and they're as i say they're continuing 
Well, I mean, and here's the thing. What you're just doing is you're pushing people down the same road that you pushed them down during the time of Prohibition. We know how successful Prohibition was. And if this is as successful as Prohibition was, then people are going to be brewing that shit up in their bathtubs. Yeah. The hard part of making liquid nicotine, right, from all the solvents and shit, and the expensive part is really the glassware. But the more you push people, the more you're going to get them to invest in this. Uh, I, 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 not even recently, quite a while ago, I already, um, I've told a few people how to make a purification tower, gravity, mm -hmm. gravity purification tower. Sure. Um, you know, I mean, most of this stuff is, is not rocket science, no. but it's getting, it's being very good with chemistry. It's being very good with monitoring temperatures, with, yeah. you know... It, People don't realise, unless you're doing... Unless you're trying to create specific compounds, the kind of chemistry involved in extracting nicotine is actually simple. Yeah. It's, it's just not dangerous. Hard. It's not difficult. It is it's dangerous. As long as you follow all the safety stuff, Yeah. it's not that hard to do. Uh, no, despite I mean, what a lot of people tell others online. Uh, well, I mean, it is let's it's face expensive it, our, let's face and it, dangerous. Guy, guys in shacks a couple of hundred years ago were setting up stills that were producing almost pure alcohol. They still are. The, yeah. We still have moonshiners in America. And all this did over not the fucking place. take fantastic <laughs> knowledge of chemical engineering. So yeah, yeah, extracting and purifying stuff people have been doing for centuries and they didn't have chemistry degrees doing it. And they're Original perfume companies, you know, perfumers. Mm -hmm. Original chemists before it was called chemistry. I mean, yes. they were doing this shit. Yep. It wasn't complicated. Um, it's still not complicated. No. It's just expensive. It's a little bit, well, it's pretty dangerous. It's not, oh, well, I, 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 as, as I don't think it's as dangerous up, as making yeah. meth. I no. think making meth is probably more dangerous. Oh, definitely. So, I mean, it's dangerous, but on the spectrum of danger, you know, an off-the-cuff analysis says it's not as dangerous as making meth. And people make that shit all the time. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, they've actually... People don't realize a lot of people cleaning their bathrooms are, are inadvertently making small quantities of mustard gas. Just luckily for them, it's not in high enough concentration that it bothers them. But sometimes, see if you do a lot of cleaning all at once and you've used a couple of chemicals and you're getting a yeah. bit of a headache and your eyes are bothering you. It isn't because of the normal... It's not because of the chemicals that you think it is. Quite often, it's because of the combination <laughs> of chemicals you've just mixed together. You know, because it's yeah, like, it's I'll good. use multi-surface chemical here, and then some, but some of this other cleaner splashes on that. And yep. yeah, because, yeah, I, I worked in, I've done chemistry, and I worked in hotels. Mm -hmm. Sure. One occasion, we got in new, we changed supplier of cleaning chemicals. Okay. Sure. And at the time, I was doing night shift. Uh, and I was bored, so I was looking through all the new chemicals, and when mm -hmm. the manager, hotel manager, came in in the morning, I went, but this is before we'd had the chemical safety training from the new company? chemical rep, yeah. I right. was immediately going to the, the manager, 
whatever you do, don't let the housemaids let too much of the multi-surface cleaner and the toilet cleaner get together. He's like, why not? And I was like, mustard gas and explosions. How does that sound? He's like, what? Because <laughs> to clean to clean toilets, right? Right. Toilets. You clean are, the inside with something yeah. different, and you clean the outside. It's um in this case, it was a phosphoric acid based toilet cleaner. Right. Which is fine. Phosphoric mm -hmm. acid. Not my favoriteest of chemicals. When it gets hot, it's really dangerous. It can eat glass. But in toilet cleaner, not at high concentration, and it ain't going to mm -hmm. get hot because it's in a toilet. Mm -hmm. If your toilet's getting hot, folks, there's something definitely wrong with your house, right? Um, yes. But <laughs> if you mix the toilet cleaner with the multi-surface cl cleaner mm -hmm. we were using, which was an alkali-based substance, okay. yeah, basically you're getting one of the raw forms of mustard gas. Not only yeah. is it nasty it'll blind you it screws up your lungs it's a nerve toxin it's yeah a nerve agent it's also this base form is explosive so <laughs> if it's exposed to naked flame it explodes and you're like yeah so yeah i said to the manager don't tell them straight away no way no do not mix these chemicals um. <laughs> Because, yeah, yeah, you get a really nastily stained toilet and the normal toilet cleaner doesn't work. Yeah, you know yourself. People start throwing all... Anything they've got, they'll try and use to get rid of that stain. Yeah. And, yeah, in this case, not a good idea. No. And, yeah, a couple of weeks later when we got the... Because we weren't using the stuff straight away. We had the old stock of the old company to use at first. Right. Mm -hmm. But the guy came round to give his... Um, care of substances hazardous to health that's what they call it over here <laughs> Kosh, um training for the staff yeah right. yeah one of the one of the ones he said was don't mix this and this we had one hotel where and it was an apocryphal story i doubt this happened we had <laughs> we had one house you know there's a cleaner in one of these hotels and the toilet cleaner wouldn't clean the stain so she, she sprayed multi-surface cleaner as well on top of it and then the guest came back to the room. He was a smoker. He threw the cigarette end into the toilet bowl. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and that was the guy's story. And I was going to the manager. See, fucking told you. <laughs> I say it was probably a made-up story just, you know, to counterpoint how dangerous it is. But, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually pretty terrifying when you think about it. Oh, yeah. Just Household chemicals stuff. are amazing. <laughs> Terrorists will always always have access to explosive materials as long as there are cleaning products. Yep. Simple as that. Well, I mean, and it's not even that. You don't even need that. Can you go and buy fertilizer? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, uh, did we not learn anything from Oklahoma City? Yeah. So... Well, I got somebody there's... to blow himself up once, but that's a different story. <laughs> he was taking fireworks apart and repacking them and making little explosive parcels and it was annoying the hell out of me because I lived next door to him and he kept waking me up uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> blowing things up so I, I told him a simple formula uh, oh God. <laughs> using household chemicals 
and, and then he got a bigger explosion than he was used to. Uh, then his father <laughs> beat the shit out of him, and he stopped doing it. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, I... <laughs> don't piss off somebody who knows science. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, you don't want to piss off the chemists. Um. Yeah. That's just the basic truth of it. You don't want to piss off the chemists because the chemists have 101 ways to make your or life the, Or the engineers. Uh, the engineers as well. I mean, you, you could also include, well, you know, if you're an herbalist, you, most... you have a lot of ways to mess somebody up. Everybody too, gets so... worried by physicists, but since most of their stuff isn't applicable in the real world without large quantities of machinery, you really don't need to worry about them. Uh, Large quantities yeah. of machinery are acid. Some of yeah. the shit they they talk about and the math and it really is, it's fascinating. But it it's so out there that it's really not applicable to real world standards. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Real world, what you can see, touch, feel. Well, actually, it, it relates in uh, the the story I after the show last week. We we're talking some <laughs> about chemical accidents and the like and I'm I brought up the, the, the German incident in the was it eighteen I can't remember when it was exactly where a whole right. town got evacuated due to a small chemical accident. The one with the, the, the smell the, the smell and, yes. and and this chemical whatever it was, we're not gonna talk about what it was. No 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 it's it, it's one of those people one of those that. Right. It's one of those chemicals that when you try to make it less bad, it just gets worse. Yeah, you it can't, like feeds if you try and itself, dilute it, it, it makes worse. it more potent. It's it's yeah. one of these weird chemical reactions it you makes can't it explain. It more potent and it, it smells horrible. And, and, and the way the smell spreads seems to defy natural <laughs> law. Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> it is a really... And then you look oh, up and, the... And MSDS. when we're saying bad smell... <laughs> Right, this chemical with immediate exposure was causing people to vomit <laughs> up their lungs. That's how bad yeah. it was. Yeah, it's not no, just it's... ooh, that smells a bit bad. This was yeah. worse than, you know, makes skunks seem like Chanel Number no. Five, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was it's pretty bad stuff. And and you looked up the MSDS data sheets just on certain portions of, of what went into this, this chemical stew that got made in this town. And you're like, Oh my God, look at this. It's yeah. immediately corrosive. <laughs> it can eat through walls and Oh no, no, that buildings. was, that was a different incident oh, was that also one? in Germany. That was a different one, but yeah, <laughs> no, the smell one, the, if you look up the right. NS, MSDS of that chemical that causes the smell, it's also the fact that it has no known uses. So they created this shit and nobody's found a use for it for anything. Well But if, if you're you, a if, you... if you're a if you're a pacifist terrorist, oh learn to make that stuff. You have great fun with it. I, I made I made an aerosol bomb. What does it do? Is it makes people throw up. That that's it, you know. Is it? You're a pacifist terrorist. Isn't that like <laughs> Not an oxymoron. <laughs> I'm sur I'm actually surprised. Obviously, you military and governments have not read up on this stuff. Because you know, imagine the kind of pepper spray you'd have using that stuff. 
Oh, God. Um, well, one, <laughs> you definitely know who it was that got sprayed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you would. I, I suppose the reason they haven't used it is yeah, it's getting rid of it off the person afterwards. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's pretty <laughs> Rather than waiting, you know, because at the moment, as far as I'm aware, when this stuff propagates, <laughs> the only thing that eventually stops the smell is the natural degradation of the chemicals. <laughs> and that takes days. Yeah, it takes Because I, I will say that German town, was, I think it was something like a month mm-hmm. before the residents could go back. Because they're well, trying I mean, every think... sort of cleaning agent they knew of to get rid of it, and nothing was helping. Uh... <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we, we have interesting talks after the show is over. And yeah. I kind of almost think, like, we could release that shit as bonus material. <laughs> not a good idea, some of the stuff I talk about. Probably not, no. You'd definitely, no, just... definitely be on a watch list. <laughs> definitely. Well, I mean, honestly... You know we all are, right? I mean, well, everybody is in one way or another. Uh, exactly. I mean, whether it's you know your your local police or. But there is a difference between me talking to you about it and private conversation. Releasing it on the, the internet. <laughs> yeah, I don't think authorities would be too keen on that stuff. Yellow uh, cake. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> Yellow cake isn't yeah. that bad. Mm-mm. I know. I was just saying. I know Actually, how to make much worse things, but I don't. I know you do. I know. And you don't You don't publicize it. But no. what I'm saying is, you know, this podcast, if it's not hitting most of the search terms every week that the government released a few years ago, I'm just fucking surprised. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, it's we're got that the, going yeah, for We're into the rundown. We probably don't have time for another story. Uh... Well, yeah. Well, it's only only well under fifteen minutes now. <laughs> Fourteen okay. minutes. Okay, so okay, so now we're outraged about botched raids and civilian deaths in the Middle East. Yeah, that's probably the only story it'll fit. <laughs> it is. As new details are coming out about what appears to have been a disastrous raid on an Al Qaeda compound in Yemen last week that resulted in the death of a Navy SEAL. The eight-year-old American daughter of deceased Al-Qaeda recruiter Anwar al-Awlaki and a number of civilians, many liberals, are condemning President Trump's decision to approve the first major counterterrorism operation of his administration. I definitely don't know whether it was wise to proceed with the operation or if more questions should have been asked. Though the plans for the raid were developed during the last days of the previous administration and postponed for operational reasons, it's certainly possible that Barack Obama, as opposed to Trump, would have held off. I certainly also find it alarming that Trump, Steve Bannon, Jared Kushner, Michael Flynn are the ones in the position to make these calls. It should be pointed out that Defense Secretary James Mattis, who any Trump's critics hoped would be a check on the president's worst impulses, was also at the meeting where the decision to proceed was made, according to the New York Times. But I also know that I didn't see this level of outrage after Alwaki's 16-year-old son was killed in a drone strike in 2011, or when Obama spokesperson Robert Gibbs brushed aside criticism of that strike by saying that the boy should have had a more responsible father. I remember that shit. I wonder if those blaming Trump for the death of Navy SEAL William Ryan Owens felt Obama was equally responsible for the death of Master Sergeant Joshua Wheeler, killed after a U.S. Kurdish raid on an ISIS prison in Iraq when haywire in 2015. I know that the previous administration approved raids based on what turned out to be faulty intelligence, including the failed attempt to rescue hostages James Foley and Steve 
Doltoff in 2014. I wonder if those who find it outrageous that Trump administration wants to, as the time put it, speed decision-making when it comes to such strikes, found it equally problematic when the same paper reported that Obama embraced a disputed method for counting civilian casualties that in effect counts all military-aged males in a strike as zone as combatants. I certainly heard relatively little outrage from the left about the drone strike on an Al-Qaeda compound in Pakistan in 2015 that killed an American and Italian hostage or the U.S. bombing of a Doctors Without Borders hospital in Coons, Afghanistan. Do you, I remember being pissed about that. I came on the air that night and lost my shit. That same year that arguably construed war crime or the ongoing Obama administration support for Saudi Arabia's brutal civil targeting air campaign in Yemen. Perhaps Obama supporters merely trusted that when the previous president, with his judicious and thoughtful temperament, had good reasons for taking the risk that led to the deaths of American troops or civilians. He certainly put far fewer Americans in harm's way, and his military actions caused fewer casualties than George W. Bush. I certainly had more faith in him making these decisions than I do in Trump, and I'm glad, however, that the chaotic world today, there aren't massive numbers of American troops patrolling the streets of Middle Eastern capitals. But the Obama administration did a lot more to normalize the notion that in the name of fighting terrorism, it was authorized to carry out attacks against Islamic militants almost anywhere in the world and was expanding that use of authority up until the final days of his presidency. The idea of an endless, vaguely defined war on terrorism with no geographic boundaries and little accountability didn't seem to be as much of a priority to the Democrats in Congress or to Democratic voters as long as a Democrat was in the White House. This is the point where I say, you know country is divided not acting like a, a single cohesive unit and that should be very fucking telling well yeah i mean it's noticeable the story uh yeah the guy is trying to remain neutral but he isn't mm -hmm. he's still he's mm -hmm. still basically trying to go obama was just as bad obama was just as bad obama was just as bad so yeah again it's it's somebody who's not being as balanced as he he thinks he's being, because yeah, uh, Obama, yeah, he definitely made huge fucking mistakes, and yes, in this case, it was his administration that came up with a strike and and not mentioned in the story, the major operational delay that was put on this was they didn't have enough intelligence oh, I whereas know. Trump just went apparently just do it well you know oh and the know. worst bit of the story which obviously this came out before this happened because this was earlier today <laughs> the Trump administration released a video of this and then immediately took it down when people pointed out no, that's not from this. That's from something that happened, I think it was six <laughs> years ago. It's crazy. So they tried to release a fake video about this failed raid on top you know, of the fact they rushed it. You know, this is... Which Obama Trump, didn't have a tendency right. of doing. Yeah. Well, we don't know that. We don't know that. And well, let me tell you, we, we don't know that would have been caught out, same as these guys got caught out. Right, cause... but I don't know that, though. Yeah. Because I think the media really embraced him. And the media, the mainstream bullshit media, as it were, that I yeah. think podcasts and the like are replacing, I think they are not as judicious 
in their picking a part of a democratic presidency as they are with this presidency, as they would have been with any other presidency, a libertarian presidency, a Republican presidency, a Green Party presidency. They would have been all up these people's <clears throat> areas with microscopes and not so much with the Democrats. And I think we, in this country, I think in our hearts, we know that. You know, it, it's why there is no well, you, trust you know, for the media. You know my opinion on politicians. It's like I don't care mm -hmm. which party they're in. I don't trust them. You can't trust them. Anything no. the government tells you is a lie. Anything that it has and is stolen. Every, every election every human, is an advance on stolen yeah, goods. Every right? human being with consciousness on this planet has bias. I don't care mm -hmm. what you say. That is reality. We all have our own perspective. Nobody can have our perspective. So, yeah, everybody does it. It's just some are a lot it. more extreme than others. <laughs> I know I have bias, but I try to put that aside. Yeah. That's why I, I... You've seen the stuff. I believe Maybe you haven't. But, I mean, I read stuff from the left. I read stuff from the right. And then I read stuff from the anarchists. And somewhere <laughs> in all this stuff, there's truth, right? Yeah. It's just finding the actual facts, picking it apart, laying it out, and going, okay, I think this is the most truthful narrative, and going with it. Yeah. And if it's not, you have to, sometimes you have to write your own. And I'm not smart enough, I don't have enough time for that yet. <laughs> I haven't put enough energy into it yet, but I figure with the way the news media is going, someday that'll happen. Um, it's just, it's ridiculous. I will say I am happy I don't have to pay a licensing fee, though, for <laughs> my media here, because that would, that would just, that would really I'm piss happy me I don't off. have to pay a licensing fee also. Well, yeah, but you, you have other options. Well, yeah. For other people that I'm don't know that, that there are options. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I live stream stuff, except the BBC, because apparently that's, uh, you need a license fee for that now as well. Uh, nice how just... you, when you've got a monopoly, you can change, have the law changed. Um, well, yeah, exactly. Only for and BBC programming, kind of... though. I can watch everybody <laughs> else's, no problem. That's just ridiculous. So, yeah, I guess... Instantly, for people who don't know, in the UK, if you watch a live broadcast, you need a license yeah, for yeah. television. And the BBC had it altered recently that any of the BBC's streamed content, even if it wasn't live, you now need a licence fee. Yeah. Yeah, we, we usually stay on from six to nine. We do a full three hours. That way we use up all the Mixler time. Yeah. And um, it's important that we do that now. Four and a half minutes left. Four and a half minutes left. So I guess tonight we'll actually run with the Muppets and the ad because we actually have time this evening. That's so weird. We don't normally have time. Okay. <laughs> okay. Here we go. Thank you. All right. Why do we always come here? I guess we'll never know. It's like a kind of torture to have to watch the show. 
Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in-stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices fast. Amoseek.com. Um, before I say goodnight, later on, this show will be up on my website for, for Michael Morris, who missed it, uh, antinanny.com. Uh, the, the podcast will be up later on tonight. Um, thanks for listening, you guys. And we will see you next Friday because Friday is the new Monday, 6 to 9 p.m. Um, VP Live, antinanny.com. Have a good night.